Well, it's been a pretty exciting week here at the Mountain Lair, I have to say. Cultural activities going on this week. Culture activities. Where should we start? Well, you know, it's a, it's amazing. Uh, I have a Japanese shrine just outside my uh, front door, and they had their autumn festival where they bring the portable shrine out and just kind of bring it around the neighborhood so right. that the deities uh, who inhabit the uh, shrine can just get a look around and, you know. I guess that excites them. I don't really know. But um, what's amazing about it is it, end, it ended today, so they, they took everything down. And I'm looking outside my window now, and uh, I live across the street from where the um, the uh, the portable shrine is uh, stored, you know, for the year. Hmm. And it's it's like nothing ever happened. It's it's just wow. everything is just back to normal. I'm always amazed about that in Japan. Even at you know Christmas, New Year's, they have all these um, decorations up, and December 25th comes, and December 26th. I don't know what happens. Like when December 25th is over, you go to everywhere around December 26th and everything, all the Christmas stuff is gone. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah it's like these elves come at night and just kind of snap their <laughs> fingers and everything is gone. It's, it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. yeah. But that happened here today too. Like, well, I, but I saw them dismantle everything. So yeah. I know it wasn't magic, <laughs> but it seems like it sometimes. And there are a lot of foreigners in town for the first time. In, yeah, uh, we got a lot of tourists time. back, which I guess is good. And everything is cheap for them. Yeah. <laughs> not for us, though. <laughs> yeah, not for us. Anyway, that's another story. And we had a uh, a visit. We had a special week. guest this week, yeah. yeah. We had uh, the first Ranitsky Summit in uh, Kyoto. In, indeed. And, uh, we met uh, the head, the founder, the mad scientist of the Ranitsky <laughs> Project, Daniel Bernardson. Yeah. And uh, he hand-delivered to us yeah. what I have in my hand right now. The yeah. New what is that? Rudnitsky recording. Oh, I'll have Symphonies. to hear it. On CPO. Yeah. Yeah. 3750 and 51 by the NDR Radio Philharmonie. Which is not out yet. Um, so you out there listening can't hear it yet, but we can, which is very nice. Yeah. So we'll have a head start on it, which is good. I've already heard it. And I'm Russ, by the way, your co-host and that's Mike over and there. And this is Mike over here. And I'm going to give it to Mike tomorrow. Uh, yeah. And we're going to both check it out. I looked. He, he's going to give me the CD tomorrow, not anything else. Yeah. No money. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. available only from the uh, one place in Germany. And Amazon Germany has it listed, but it says currently not available. Right. It's not on streaming. CPO, I don't know. I've They're available here and there. I don't know what's taking this one so long, but we'll yeah. see. But these were recorded in 2014 and 2016, so they're obviously mm. in no hurry <laughs> to uh, have everybody listen to this music. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, you recorded it. Get it out there. Come on, guys. CPO, yeah. get on it. That's going to be our job. We're going to just hold hold a fire under everybody's uh, butts <laughs> so that they move and get stuff out, you know? Yeah. We're going to hold off talking about it until at least people can listen to it somewhere other yeah. than ordering it from one place in Germany. Yeah. Um, Unless we simply can't contain ourselves, then we'll yeah. just be uh, <laughs> mentioning <laughs> it here and there on the, in the, on the, in the coming weeks. I haven't it heard was, it yet though. So. It was good to uh, meet Daniel face to face. Yeah, Daniel was fantastic. It was good to talk to him. If you're listening, Daniel, thanks for bringing us the CD. And uh, I have to see the Ranitsky summit was more of a grilled meat summit. Yeah. <laughs> we ate a lot of meat. <laughs> yeah, we did. It was really and uh, for any listeners, if you don't know about uh, Ranitsky, you can go back, search our episodes. We've covered, I think, four releases so far. And there's also an interview mm. with uh, Daniel, 
about uh, Runitsky and his music and also Merck Stilitz, the conductor of many right. of those releases on Naxos. So uh, catch up. Can, can we say that uh, there, there are going to be some new Runitsky uh, releases coming out on Naxos? There, there are several more on the way. I, mm. I think at least three more. Yeah. Coming in the next say that uh, year, much, probably. Yeah, we um, probably that say much that much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They seem to be releasing them, so I guess we're okay. And, and even if they're not, just because we said it, now they have to do it. So there you go. Let's use our platform. <laughs> and yeah. well, this week we're gonna take another interesting dive into something yeah, we new are. for us. Uh, we've done episodes about uh, certain countries' music before. You've probably uh, seen our French Me Baby series. <laughs> three installments of that. We need we need that fourth song because I have one more title, and then after that, yeah. I guess we're just gonna have to become respectable yeah. to see. And we've got uh, a couple Italian episodes. Uh, right. We've got uh, piano paisans and <laughs> <laughs> an Italian explosion. Yeah, yeah, way to way to respect the Italians there. Italian really, explosion. we even had an actual explosion on that episode too. If you we've listen, got, it's all Greek to me. Yep. We got another Greek episode coming up. Yeah. Well, kind of. Maybe yeah. I've got some Greek. I next have Greek one too, more Greek so. uh, recording coming, but you have, I think, three or something, right? Um, possibly. Possibly. One yeah, next I'm not going to have three Greek classical ones today. Soon, but we'll we're going to go to Poland. And, yeah. Uh, any regular listeners will know that uh, we're famous for our butchering of pronunciations. <laughs> yes, tonight, that's what we do. Tonight is not going to not going to be any different. It's going to be worse actually. <laughs> Following that great American tradition of uh, not pronouncing names correctly, but uh, right. tonight I think is going to be extra special. <laughs> there're going to be some yeah. extra special laughs from the audience as we <laughs> so, try to say some of these names. Boy, any Polish speakers uh, please uh, forgive us in advance for <laughs> Yes. But I, I think they'll be happy to hear. Although, to be honest, like coming up with a Polish program in classical music really isn't that difficult. There are a lot mm -hmm. of really good uh, Polish composers out there. And uh, I have three tonight, and one of them isn't Chopin. Wow. Who's the most famous Polish composer. We're just not, uh, not we don't have him on this program. We're just going to yeah. have three other Polish composers that you should know about. Did we say the name of the podcast yet? We're adult music. We are adult music. There we go. Okay. Podcast with music for the mature mind. Yeah. And this week, the Polish mind. Anyway, all the releases we'll talk about, you can find links to at Spotify and Apple Music in the description. You can also get all the music in one place on our preferred streaming platform in CD quality. That's Deezer from France. You can also follow us there. Uh, they have podcasts now on Deezer. Just look us up, Adult Music Podcast. Now, if you don't see the full description or list of all the recordings on whatever app or platform you happen to be listening to us on, come over to our host site, podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Everything's clear and easy to follow there. If you enjoy the podcast, please follow or subscribe wherever you listen to us. And if you take just a moment, give us a ranking or write a review. That helps us get listed in the browsing category recommendations, and it helps us get more listeners, and that makes us happy. Come along also, see us on Facebook. We've got a page there. Uh, you can get extra info during the week, new releases I always put up that come out that we may not get around to discussing on the podcast. You can leave a message or comment there. And if you want to contact us directly with any comments or questions, our email address is adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And if you're not had enough of podcast listening, you want to hear some more interviews after you listen to adult music, go over and check out Tom Gawker's podcast, Something Came From Baltimore. 
It's not mm -hmm. about Baltimore, but rather a jazz blues and R&B interview podcast. And he's covered uh, some of the artists that we've uh, talked about uh, recordings from on adult music. So check yeah. that out. There'll be a link in the description at the top. All right. So anyway, let's just get into it, I guess. Um, Polish music, Polish classical music. There certainly is a lot of it. Poland mm. have had some big names in the uh, classical music world. Anyway, the first one we're going to talk about is a composer who's... Um, really for my entire lifetime has been gradually being rediscovered but now we have um him in the hands of a really great pianist uh, top of the top rank uh the composer is carol zimanowski who lived at the uh, beginning of the uh 20th century and this is uh, an album called simply piano works and it's uh played by another polish uh pianist uh christian zimmerman who we mm. heard before in the beethoven concertos right. and we thought they were eh, okay yeah, well they were great but they weren't like kind of my kind of what i was looking for mm. and this is but and this is on the deutsche gramophone label uh but no worries uh <laughs> this this was a this was really zimmerman at his finest i think mm. on this album for many reasons that i will articulate as we go on on this album zimmerman recorded three of them there there are four works the preludes masks mazurkas and variations um, and uh, he recorded three of them, the Preludes, Mazurkas, and Variations, in Fukuyama Hall of Art and Culture in Japan, right wow. here, where mm. we live. No, well, not here. We don't live in Fukuyama, but in, in Japan. In June 2022, so this year, he was here, up or up in Fukuyama, his concert hall. And he, the odd thing is the recording of, the, of Mask, it's a three-movement work, was made in the same hall in May 1994. Wow. That's 28 years ago. That's when I came to Japan. That was a young man with a head full of hair. Well, <laughs> it was already on its way out. That, but <laughs> yeah, well, it's, well, it's no long hurry gone to get now. these recordings out then, was he? Yeah, he really wasn't. Okay. Um, and, and that's a shame because he should have been because uh, it's his, it's his uh, compatriot. You, you, know, you got to support hmm. your, uh, your, uh, your national composers, I think. Because uh, if you don't, no one else, no one else from outside the country will you know you have to, it has to really start from within and then they spread from there okay so anyway this was recorded at the um, fukuyama hall of art and culture in japan because the hall was designed by zimmerman's friend yasuhisa toyota whose acoustics zimmerman has long admired and the spur was not only the hall but also the 140th anniversary of zimanovsky's birth um hmm. he was um his 140th birthday was october 6th 2022 so it just passed you know a few weeks right. ago um zimmerman intends to show the essence of zimanovsky in this recording and i think he's done quite a good job i have to mm. say um he himself learned about the works via the great pianist arthur rubenstein uh who knew zimanovsky personally and uh championed oh. his works during his lifetime but i mean when i was younger i i had heard rubenstein's recordings he was famous for the chopin hmm. his, his chopin recordings and things like that but i don't remember him ever Ever hear? I guess he never recorded them, or he did, but I didn't hear them anyway. Mm. But anyway, now we have uh, quite a few uh, pianists have uh, recorded Zimanowski's work, including Mark Andre Amlan. But this uh, recording here by Christian Zimmerman is really rather special. I think he really captures something um, in in this music that no one else really has. Anyway, let's talk about that a little bit. The first uh, four tracks are from his. Uh, Preludes Opus 1. Uh, I think there are nine of these, and uh, Zimmerman here has recorded four. And uh, what a way to start a program with Preludes. 
you know, I think that's really sensible. You don't want to put them last because they're <laughs> preludes. But people do. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like they don't look at the title. Anyway, we have uh, the first uh, track is number one, prelude number one in B minor, Mandante Manon Troppo. This one is very quiet and prettily. It has a pretty arpeggiated opening taken with our and the first thing you notice is uh zimmerman's really lovely big but very fluid and beautiful tone um and that's a really a pleasure throughout this album really his his tone is really hmm. he's a very careful player kind of leaning towards uh mitsuko uchida who's very very fussy um but i, I and zimmerman's playing he can be he can put me off but he doesn't hear uh, i really like this album a lot um, he plays uh, this uh, prelude sort of like a Chopin nocturne, uh, muted sound, uh, very quiet. Great care is taken with the tone and its quality in both voices, the right hand and the left hand. Uh, the piece reaches a climax just before the second minute, and we get a tapering off to the end. Plenty of rallentando, very, very sensitive, like slowing in this piece to really draw out every element. Um, beautifully judged all the way through. This really is a beautifully judged um album you know mm. program album and just all the detail that uh, Zimmerman draws out of all of these works is really um amazing okay probably number two in d minor andante con moto also very quiet kind of a moonlit sort of beginning as with the first prelude Zimmerman is again careful with the tone generous with a romantic sort of ebbing and flowing rubato you can hear him slightly push the tempo at the first minute then gradually slow down to the end of the section just before the minute, one minute and 30 second mark where a new section starts. The recorded sound richly captures the entire range of the piano, but I'm particularly noticing how richly the bass end comes up. Very pleasant, present and pleasant and clear and really just beautiful rounded tones. The opening material returns at about three minutes for a few bars, then breaks off into the final chords in a higher range. Zimmerman gets maximum expression out of this piece. It's a good one to sample. And you had said something about this one. You, you hear, heard him uh, humming in this? Is this, this the one? Also track four. Um, yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I should have listened on headphones. I didn't hear it through the big speakers, Yeah, but I wasn't playing it very loud. Um, so yeah, when you told me that, I mean, I, I said I would listen, but I didn't. Um, Zimmerman has this habit, though, from the past. I remember this, and I just had forgotten about it. Hmm. I guess he still does it. I don't know. Glenn yeah. Gould famously used to hum as he played. Yeah. You know, so. um, yeah. It's uh, it's not exactly uh, the same tune that he's playing, too. So. Yeah, but he's Check probably trying to get some kind of, you know. Yeah, I'll have to give that another yeah. listen in the headphones and see if I could hear that. Okay. Uh, I, I heard him humming in another place actually i'll mention that when that okay. comes up uh the third track number seven in c minor um moderato this is a quiet piece too with arpeggiated bass and a little ripple in it midway through the phrase there's kind of a schumann-esque technique to the way zimanovsky can combines the melody with part of the figuration in the right hand um chopin of course comes into mind as well and the crescendo at a minute and 40 seconds onwards registers exceptionally well on the recording. I'm guessing the hall in Fukuyama is contributing to this sound as well. This actually sounds a lot better than Zimmerman himself sounds on a lot of recordings. And he usually sounds really, really good as far as the tone mm. goes. It's a fantastic sounding recording. So if you have a, if you're a real piano fan, you have a nice stereo, you'll want to bask in this sound. Uh, the very quiet ending also comes up beautifully. 
in full tone. Prelude number eight in E flat minor. This is track four. Andante ma non troppo. These are all pretty quiet preludes, really, mm -hmm. and lots of this kind of moonlit character to them. Um, this number eight has a long descending line from the opening notes. It's poetic, as the previous three preludes are, and has a brief crescendo in the first minute, after which it fades with some beautifully shaped lines by Zimmerman. After a more adventurous middle section, the opening returns at 2 minutes and 43 seconds and leads to the mysterious quiet ending. So Chopin was known as the poet of the piano, and I think Zimanovsky is picking up on that in these preludes. A lot of them sound more nocturne-like to me than prelude-like. They're mm. a little longer than uh, Chopin's preludes. Some of them are five minutes long, but most of them are like a minute, even less. That's not the case here. Anyway, tracks five to seven is a three-movement three, work, three uh, movement work called Masks, which was recorded 28 years before this. This kind of, I don't see why he didn't re-record them, because 28 years is a long time. You're a different person. Yeah. By now. So you're going to play, you're probably going to interpret differently too. But he kept these and uh, finally released them. By the way, uh, this, this, this is the first time we're hearing these performances. They've never been previously released. Hmm. Okay. So this, this is a first. The masks are all named after um, characters from um, literature. And number one is called Scheherazade. And we know who she is. Um, the uh, narrator of the Thousand and One Arabian Nights. Hmm. <clears throat> And um, to get this, to really understand what's happening here, we have to see here as this really alluring woman who uh, was kind of sentenced to death by the, uh, the um, how, what would you call him? The, 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 uh, the sultan, let's say. And um, she, uh, to uh, put off her death, she uh, tells him stories for A Thousand One Nights, which she cuts off at the really key point. And if he wants to hear the ending, he'll have to come back the next night. And um, by the end of the Thousand One Nights, she has several children by him, so he doesn't kill her. <laughs> <laughs> and the stories she tells, of course, are absolutely fantastic as well. It's a really, uh, it's really a mm. great, great work of literature, really. Okay. Anyway, so this work has that heightened sensuality that we, uh, you know, have with Shahrazad. A great storyteller would have a sensual quality to them at least in their narration. And there's also a bit of fear in this too. You get a bit of her anxiety at, you know, in the, in this case. Anyway, this piece is astonishingly quiet at the beginning with an opening tolling bass chord. Uh, the sound really doesn't sound much different from the preludes despite being recorded 28 years before. I mean, they have the same mm. microphone set up and they never took them <laughs> down. I don't understand how this was done. It's a little less vivid maybe, but uh, that's barely noticeable. The beauty of tone is still there. It's still the same hall. And this is a piece that pays dividends when beauty of tone is applied. It's got a mysterious perfumed quality to it. Now, when I say perfumed... I've read the other critics say this, and I'm really not sure what they mean by it. But when I think of it, the way perfume hangs in the air when the person is gone, mm. and you get that sort of thing from piano playing when the pedal is down, you have this cloud of like harmonics over the piano. So when I say highly perfumed, I mean, you get a really dense cloud of like harmony mm. just kind of hovering above the uh, of the piano. And there's a lot of that here. Um Let's see. Um, is this a subtle pedaling? Yeah, Zimmerman is also excellent use of the pedal. Uh, creating these light clouds of tone color in a more active section. And about a minute and 45 seconds, we get to a more violent section with some banged out chords for accents, but the tone is always really uh, fantastic. He never loses, Zimmerman never loses his quality of tone. 
A quieter section with a trilling bass follows, then a repeated note bass and chord accompany the active material in the right hand. There's a quick silver nature to this piece and really to all three pieces in this uh, set. Uh, the textures change very rapidly. And Zimmerman, with his minute attention to detail, is on top of each change. In the louder section, such as uh, 4 minutes and 28 seconds, the bass loses its rich quality, probably due to the fact that the recording was made long ago. Another quiet section in the fifth minute with quick repeated notes marking the pattern. At 6 minutes and 38 seconds, there's a change of rhythm with sforzato, syncopated chords in the bass, then a rising figure with a crescendo. Another peak is reached at the seventh minute. Uh, this Scheherazade really does seem on edge. Coming up on the eighth minute, we hear ominous bass notes with right hand tremolos. The tremolos continue more quietly in the eighth minute. The texture reduces to chords in the ninth minute and quietens profoundly. Now, as we're managing the quietest of sounds to end the piece. By the way, I actually heard Christian Zimmerman play loud, play loud, and <laughs> play live and loud at Boston Symphony uh, Hall uh, long ago. This is in the mm. 1990s. And <laughs> he was really good. But there was somebody in the audience, like, I don't know, talking or something. And he kept kind of looking over at the audience as he was playing. Um, he, huh. he seemed really bothered by it. He's a really sensitive type. Huh. And I remember at the end, like, this, the, the playing was so beautiful, though. And, um, he really is excellent at pedaling. And I remember when he ended, this woman who was sitting not too far away from me turns to her companion and said, hmm, I didn't agree with his pedaling. Like, well, excuse me. <laughs> it was some of the best piano playing you're ever going to hear. You know, he oh, he's had he has a history with um, American audiences, too. He's actually yelled at them and had huh. trouble. One of his pianos was destroyed by customs in New York. Uh, he imports his pianos he brings his pianos with him everywhere so he sounds sort of like a difficult personality but I, I think America has really tortured him more than other places have <laughs> which is sort of sad I mean hmm. you know he's threatened never to play there again because he doesn't like US foreign policy although I don't see what the although <laughs> I suppose you know Poland being so close to Ukraine he's he has a right to that opinion anyway um the second piece in Masks, so this is track six now, uh, is called Tantris Le Buffon. Now, you want to, fans of the Tristan Isolde opera, will know that Tantris is the way that Tristan, it's Tristan spelled sideways, I guess you could say. Um, mm -hmm. he's, and uh, he disguises himself um, to Isolde by calling himself that. And I guess she doesn't recognize him because his name is different. <laughs> Good old opera, let me tell you. But anyway, this piece is called Tantris Le Buffon, and um, it's based on Ernst Hard's 1908 play, which subverts the legend of Tristan and Isolde. Now, Trist Tristan isn't a, isn't a buffoon. Uh, buffoon. He's um, more of a romantic, you know, heroic romantic type, all right? Hmm. But the the play sort of reverses that, I guess. I don't really know the story. But um, certainly this is not what we'd expect from an interpretation of Tristan. And we get a buffoonish dance rhythm with repeated chords played in a dance rhythm. High notes sprinkled on top as trills and arpeggiated figuration. Perfumey, cloud-like chords. Imagine someone wearing perfume walk by. That's what the harmonics feel like in this piece. There's a more tranquil section, but the insistent rhythmic material keeps popping up. A longer section follows, and then we get some wild exclamations and figuration at about 3 minutes and 20 seconds and afterwards. Zimmerman gives us full volume here, and it's pretty amazing how much control he has. 
over his sound. It's very subtle. He, he can change mm. it very subtly and you notice it. It's really amazing. Listen from three minutes and 30 seconds to four minutes to the sudden pulling back from the loud material to the quick, tight scale figures and how sharply they get cut off. Now, this leads to more high volume chords at four minutes and 30 seconds and afterwards taping off to quiet chords with brief light figures and sprinkled in. This section tapers off to extremely quiet playing yet well-balanced tones and ends with three light staccato chords. The third uh, movement of this three-movement set, or the third piece in it, is called Serenade de Don Juan. Don Juan being the great lover. Um, this balance is satire, Don Juan taking ages to tune his guitar. I don't really see him as being like that, though. He's kind of sinister, <laughs> I think, Don Juan. With episodes of possibly insincere emotional excess. Of course, yeah, Don Juan seduced a lot of women. He probably didn't love them. <laughs> Just uh, wrote them down in his notebook. Anyway, Thundering Chord openings the work. It's a little light on bass, but again, Zimmerman's intense sensitivity to dynamics and pedal usage really makes the details in this work come out. As the title suggests, it's got a lot of guitar-like figuration. Think about um, Ravel's piece, uh, Alborada del Gracioso, or Debussy's uh, prelude, um, La Serenade Interrompue, where, which has a lot of kind of like this tuning of a guitar, sort of repeated notes mm. played on the piano. Um, Zimanovsky has like a, a similar sort of approach in this piece. Um, the actual serenade starts about a minute and 26 seconds, but like Debussy's serenade interrompu, it constantly returns to repeated note guitar figuration, like he's trying to get it tuned. It's a bigger piece than that, though, than Debussy's piece, and uh, there's some good virtuosic Spanish-tinged figuration in the serenade lines. There's some pretty explosive chords towards the end, bringing to mind the loud opening chord. Uh, scale and glissando material is very even. Again, this reminded me of Ravel's Alborada del Gracioso with its famous um, glissandi um, in thirds. <laughs> you, have to, you have to play the glissando with two fingers, man. It ends with a bookending loud chord and amazing piano playing in this work. Make sure you hear that. Okay, next we get um, a set of mazurkas. I think there, there are, I guess, 16 of these or 18 or something like that. We get four of them. This is Mazurka's Opus 50. Uh, the four Mazurkas here were chosen because they have a lot of whole tone writing, drone basses, tritones, intricately embellished melodic lines, and earthy stamping rhythms. I didn't quite hear the earthy stamping rhythms. These are all mm. pretty mellow, I thought, but uh, that's what the notes say. I thought I'd just read that for you. Anyway, number 13, this is track 8, is marked Moderato, and it's got a quiet, slightly muted melody at first played monophonically. Then harmony slowly comes in. The graduate, this gradually gets more lively and rhythmic and rather busy in the textural material. The piece forms an arch quieting down and ending more or less monophonically. So it's kind of the arch is the dynamics. It gets loud and then soft again by the end. Uh, track 9, number 14, Mazurka number 14, Animato, and then there's a bunch of Polish here. The Elegancia y Grandezza. It's kind of Italian and Polish. I can't figure this out. Anyway, the bass carries an ostinato rhythm and is emphatic at the end of phrases while the melody is played by the right hand. This actually has a slightly Spanish feel to it. It's a Mazurka, which is a Polish dance, but I did hear these kind of like Spanish sort of sounds in it. It put me in mind of the Don Juan piece we just heard in Masks. Perhaps it's the repeating notes sounding like that guitar string. And this particular mazurka is rather comical in its overall profile. 
Track 10, uh, Muzerka number 15, Allegretto Dolce. Now, uh, forget this. <laughs> Sentimental, you know, it says in Polish here. I can make that out. This has a mysterious, quiet opening. And I should mention that Zimanowski is using the open fifth in the bass at a lot of key moments in these mazurkas. We hear it a lot. It has a droning quality, kind of like a something about rustic about it. Okay, it kind of puts it in the, mm-hmm. in the land and the people. It's kind of that kind of sound. Um, let's see. We hear it in the first minute, that uh, open fifth in the bass, as well as in number 13, Moderato. In this piece, at a minute and 45 seconds, is a departure from the opening material, and some Debussy-esque chords end the piece. Um, if you had played this for me, I wouldn't have known who it was, and then at the very end, I would have said, oh, Debussy? But that, the rest of the harmony doesn't sound like Debussy, mm-hmm. just the ending. Anyway, track 11, this is Mazurka number 16, Allegramente Vigoroso. This has a loud open fifth in the bass and an off-kilter rhythm with rather aggressive material driving the right hand quietens down in volume, but the harmony still has a hard edge at a minute and 10 seconds or so. At two minutes and six seconds, the opening jerky rhythm and aggressively heavy right-hand material returns. It quiets down at the end to soft muted tones with a final sudden outburst. Okay, and the last piece is uh, tracks 12 through 23, variations on a Polish folk theme, Opus 10. Uh, The theme is from, I didn't look this name up, Jan Kleczynski's, I hope I said that right, uh, on the music of Podhale, P-O-D-H-A-L-E. It bears only slight resemblance to the opening song in Zimanowski's hands. Anyway, the opening is not the theme. It's got an introduction, Andante Doloroso Rubato. This has an elegant, romantic-type lament at the beginning, slow chords and rich harmony. There's a flourish at the end of the 49 seconds, and that sets up the theme which we hear next in track 13. Tema, theme, Andantino Semplice. We hear the theme played as a monophonic octaves. Monophonic means that everything's playing the same note. There's no sort of harmony. Um, Think about uh, when people sing in a sports stadium. That's monophonic. They're all singing the same note. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Except that they're not. They they, they mean to be. Let's just put it that way. Anyway. um, Some pretty harmonies are heard in the bass. Um... Okay, some colorful harmonic touches are added, so it's not quite straightforward harmonically. Um, some pretty harmonies are heard in the bass, and Zimmerman makes sure we hear them by clearing space for them. Not really by accenting them, but he does this with the pedal. It's very elegant playing. It's almost like he, when when a new sound is coming or a chord he wants you to hear, he'll like lift off the pedal so that it'll just be exposed. It's really magical how he does that. I never, I don't hear other pianists do things like this. Um, elegant playing, the theme itself is warm and melodic. Uh, and, and this is the uh, movement, track 13, that I think I heard Zimmerman humming in. So you can listen okay. to this if you want to. This is track 13. This is the theme. The theme. Um, there's a resolution with a discord, sort of a color discord in the chord at the end. Then we get into the variations. The first one has uh, descending cascading figures in the upper range of the piano as the left hand has slightly sped up the melody. Second variation is agitato, explodes in with a sudden forte, with rushing octave figures in the left hand and pounding chords embedding the theme in the right hand. Variation three is lento mesto ma poco agitato. It quietens suddenly. We get a generous pedal and lightly played themes, creating a harmonic cloud, which is really a 
I guess the Zimanovsky sound is that harmonic cloud hovering over the piano, sort of like a disembodied drone. <laughs> but it's not making a drone sound. Don't get confused there. Variation four. Allegro molto agitato, more romantic rushing material reminiscent of Chopin's second sonata's last movement. This is going to come up a lot. If anybody knows the uh, the funeral march sonata, the very last movement is kind of has no real stable harmonic. It's just these center. It has all these just rushing scales that really don't sound like they're going anywhere. It's kind of like just maybe wind swirling around or something. But uh, this uh, variation number four, track 17, sounds a bit like that. It's the same sort of technique. Um, it's pretty quick too. Variation five, Andantino. The transition here is beautifully taken. It's a big change that feels natural thanks to Zimmerman's pacing and control of dynamics. Uh, this particular variation has a languorous quality. There's subtle rubato in the phrasing. The melody is in the upper notes, but there are counter melodies in the accompanying material. Track 19, variation six, Andante Dolcissimo has a full stop before the variation with a tonic chord, so we get a little interruption before this one comes in. This is even quieter and sparer than the previous one. Uh, gently played by Zimmerman, who uses a light touch to achieve beautiful tone. Um, the music crescendos at 45 seconds and becomes more granitic, granitic, rock-like, but quickly dies down again and more or less stays in the softer dynamic. Uh, if you don't know what I mean by that, just listen to it. You'll know when you, when you hear it. Um, this variation has a climbing motif that's heard often in its three minutes and 10 seconds. Variation seven, Piumoso, has more active rippling figuration here. Zimmerman achieves a gorgeous overall sound, almost bell-like with a chiming quality in this variation. The material has a dripping raindrop feel to it, full cadence at the end. Variation eight, which is track 21, Marcia Funebre. The bass starts up reminiscent of Chopin's funeral march. The Chopin funeral march. Dun, 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 No, dun, dun, dun. You know, it's those fifths. But you don't get the melody. The melody's different here. This is the second reference to his second sonata, if you count, if this, if I am, in fact, hearing this right. Um, if I can go so far to call it that, actually. It's got the same sort of tolling bell quality to the theme as the second sonata, but a totally different melody. You don't get that famous Chopin funeral march melody. The crescendo is propelled by a pedal point bass note. The variation makes an arch via dynamics and ends quietly after a long decrescendo. Variation 9, track 22, Piumoso, has more rushing figures. Again, slightly reminiscent of the fourth movement of the second piano sonata by Chopin. So, th except that this one follows the funeral march as it does in Chopin's sonata. So, I think this is a really direct reference to that work. Uh, this has a theme to it, though. It's not just these rushing figuration like we heard earlier or in Chopin's sonata. The theme is loudly played in octaves in the higher range while the accompanying cloud of rushing figures becomes louder. Leading into the final variation, number 10, the finale, Allegro. Vivo. This begins attached to the previous variation with rushing figures that focus into something more thematic. This, it suddenly sort of comes into focus at one point. There's a sudden quietening at around 35 seconds as we hear a descending motif, which eventually becomes an even gentler rising motif with tremolos in the accompaniment. Sort of like at the end of Beethoven's uh, last or 32nd piano sonata, Opus 111 in C minor. It ends like in sort of infinity with these sort of like trills just continuing in both hands as this very high-end melody goes. It, it, it could be a reference to that, for all I know. 
The material rises high in the keyboard, the trills end, and by two minutes and five seconds, a fugue, or a fugato, uh, starts, carefully outlining its theme in the various voices. I'd call this a fugato. It starts like a fugue, but doesn't continue in a strict fugue form. That's what a fugato is. By two minutes and 45 seconds, the harmony has thickened and the thematic material is now played in loud octaves. The accompanying material becomes more insistent, evening itself up with the thematic material until the end, and we're getting loud, bell-like tolling sounds. Very impressive here. Okay, so Zimanowski is a pianist who is obsessed with the sound that he's producing, and we can tell that too, just because of his wanting to use this concert hall. And uh, bringing his own piano around. He's got this piano that he really likes, that he, or several of them, I guess. Um, he can be a bit much for me, but not here. We're really hearing him in his natural habitat here. He sounds really at home in this music. And uh, it's music that really demands a beautiful tone and just a lot of subtle use of pedal. And he, Zimmerman is all of that. So, really, this is a great match of composer and pianist here. Uh, this music comes up extremely well with such fussy attention paid to every line. The recording is very rich, really great piano sound. I personally have never been attracted to Zimanowski's piano music um, before, but now I rather uh, was drawn to it by this performance. And this is what a great pianist can do. He can make you like something that you really just weren't hearing before. He can just almost hand it to you but via his interpretation. Zimmerman makes the best possible case for this music, I think. It's really elegant playing throughout uh, and also powerful at the appropriate points. Sensitivity of touch that's rarely heard and not even from Zimmerman himself always. Um, it depends on his approach, really. But he's definitely at his best here and I would recommend hearing this, especially if only for the piano sound. But uh, I think these are works worth discovering, especially in these performances. Yeah, I think you get a good range of Zimanowski's piano works. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different sounding music here. I found it starting with the prelude and then the mask were a bit difficult. It kind of runs from beautiful to a bit befuddling. Um, mm. It's they're really dense in spots. Dense not, is a good word. Not yeah. hard to listen to, uh, but it's a big contrast to those really pretty preludes to start it out. Mm. But I thought Zimmerman's playing is, was very sensitive, uh, both intense and flowing. His legato playing is really beautiful. And he brings out the contrasts uh, in the material uh, with dynamics and then use of the pedal and makes them all very interesting and draws you into them. Uh, some things will probably take a few listens to um, get everything in your mind with what's going on and happening yeah, in the piece. a lot of detail. Yeah, mm. but you've got those other lighter contrasting uh, preludes and then you've got the um, variations at the end, which are just kind of fun to follow along and see uh, how things are going to be altered and embellished there too. Yeah, so uh, pretty good introduction to uh, Zimanowski's piano music if you haven't heard it before. And lovely yeah, playing. Yeah, and it all gets more difficult from there because our next recording, <laughs> actually our next two composers are both um, composers who uh, whose music has been recently sort of rediscovered or has a new lease on life now. Um, and the first one is um, Grazina Batsevich, woman composer, for those of you who, are, who would want to know that. Um, and this, is, this album is called Peter Yablonski plays Grazina Batsevich. 
Uh, that's spelled B-A-C-E-W-I-C-Z or Z. We should say Z for the American listeners. They're mostly them. So Piano Works by her. Um, uh, Batsevich lived from 1909 to 1969. She's apparently pretty popular in Poland, but um, her music wasn't recorded and she was virtually unknown outside of Poland um, before 10 years ago. Hmm. And when uh, the, I heard the first recording of uh, her works came out on the Chandos label, and they've been uh, championing her works a lot. This particular one is by Peter Yablonski, who we heard last year in uh, a Stanchinsky album that we really liked a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is on the Ondine label. Um, one thing that's interesting to know about Batsevich is that she was, like so many uh, 20th century composers that really made their names, a pupil of Nadia Boulanger in Paris. As was, of course, Piazzolla, Philip Glass, um, many other, Copeland, Aaron Copeland, you know, so many. Um, She had some kind of magic to her. Anyway, um, here we we get a set of uh, her piano works. This is the first time I'm hearing any of her piano works. Um, I've heard only chamber and um, orchestra works before this. So this is something I was really looking forward to. This album came out in the spring, and I've been sitting on it thinking we were going to do a... uh, a, um, program of all women composers and i should have just put it in there earlier but we got this one now it's working out well with the polish episode anyway the first work we hear is her concert krakowiak krakow concert krakow concert i was i guess it's krakow but americans always say krakow (laughs) (laughs) because we have to say everything wrong it's like a rule (laughs) <laughs> yeah this was composed in 1949 all right and it's based on motifs from proper popular uh krakowiak melodies which is a popular folk dance from poland which undergo various motivic harmonic and rhythmic transformations anyway this album also has vividly recorded sounds it's not rich like the zimmerman was was but that has a lot to do with the hall and the the pianist as well mm. but on this recording it's very clear with each note registering there's not much blur from the piano only room ambience around the notes so he's not pedaling much in this he gets kind of a hard sound and coming to this after the zimmerman it might be a bit of a shock um the uh harmony is batsevich's harmony is more severe and um J- jablonski has a harder tone but it's a still appealing one i should say it suits the music, though, his tone here. Um, Jablonski does well to separate the melody from the accompaniment. Um, they're both thrown in high relief in his playing, or maybe even in the score. Listen to the quick figuration high in the right hand while the left hand plays the granitic thematic material at 54 seconds. Each change of texture is registered with brief pauses from Jablonski, and there are a lot of them. It makes the work seem highly episodic, the way he... Um, the way he paces this the work itself is appealing sounding like a 20th century work in its angularity it's hardly romantic but it is tonal it's still it's rather easy on the ears but it's just not going to have these curvy beautiful melodies it doesn't sound particularly folk-like to my ears despite its title though i imagine polish listeners may be able to identify the themes at four minutes, we have a folk-like dance theme that quickly breaks up into modern-sounding figuration. Uh, Jablonski's playing is wonderfully fluid in the quicker material. He plays this with a lot of contrast between theme and accompaniment, uh, throwing both into high relief, as I said earlier. 
Another example can be heard at 6 minutes and 24 seconds with a faint figuration and loud melodic material. And this piece ends with a flourish. Tracks 2 through 11 are 10 concert etudes. Etudes uh, put us in mind of uh, Batsevitz's great compatriot, Chopin. Um, but these aren't really going to be like that at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Etude number one. Actually, we hear, we hear all of these. She plays them all. Hmm. Okay. So etude number one, uh, Batsevitz herself referred to this etude as bangy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just what your mom wants to hear. <laughs> anyway, his uh, etude, the etude is uh, machine-like in its rhythm. Uh, very 20th century, hard but tonal. Um, as the piece goes on, there's some lovely rising themes bursting out of the texture, like at uh, the 49 second mark. Uh, Yablonsky, with his extremes of dynamic, manages to draw the listener in with his sudden decrescendos. The clarity of his playing and his very discreet use of the sustain pedal makes this an ideal performance of this highly detailed work. Now, his approach is actually very similar, by the way, to Zimmerman's. You know, he, he has a lot mm. of contrast and sort of um, very subtle changes but there there's something different about the approach mm-hmm. too the, the the basic approach is the same but the whole tone and the sound and the effects they get wind up being different this is really wonderful in a way because it's just the things different pianists can bring to different kinds of music i wonder if zimmerman will ever record batsavitz piano works that'd be interesting mm. anyway etude number two uh vivace there's a light touch in this fleet piece. Yablonsky's attention to dynamics is very appealing and attention-grabbing. He'll make slight crescendos during even figuration, as though we're going over a hill on smooth terrain. Um, by the one-minute mark, the material becomes more rhythmically bouncy, and Yablonsky draws this quality out in high relief. I'm going to use this painting metaphor a lot on this album, this high relief idea, because it's a key trait of Yablonsky's playing, at least in these works, or it may very well be a trait of the works themselves. Etude number three, Allegro, even bouncing theme, rather percussive in its sound. Again, Yablonsky is so even that the motoric quality of the work comes across well. There are some retards in the piece, a slowing down that is, but it pretty much goes on in this manner. Etude four is quarter note equals 96 cascading notes across the high and middle range of the piano again with very discreet pedal there's no blurring and the edge of each note is pretty hard yet the smooth shape of the lines comes across etude number five andante slow tolling tones in the bass and mid-range of the piano a theme with sustained notes is heard in the higher register there's a gorgeous tone in the muted upper register after two minutes as the work quietens down for the middle section Etude number six, quarter note equals 180. Cascading material, this time with harmonized thematic material. It moves dynamically with Yablonsky again, timing beautiful crescendi and decrescendi to make the material move like waves on a vast sea. Etude number seven, giocoso, which is playful. Quieter piece with rumbling themes that are cut short and start at a different place afterwards. There's a bit more pedal on this than we've heard, but the detail rings out clearly. There's some pretty harsh and appealing to my ear, passing harmonies that liven up the texture. A nice subtle tone on the ending chord. Etude number eight, quarter note equals 69. Some real contrast here with a pedal induced haze to the opening arpeggiated figures. 
a sort of tolling bell texture in triplets comes out at around a minute and 38 seconds onwards. The material quickens again after two minutes and 20 seconds. Etude number nine is marked presto. This has quick, complex figures rising through the piano's range, then falling. There's audibly more pedal on this piece than we had in the opening pieces. The edges of individual notes are more hazy here, and the material creates a harmonic cloud above the sounds. This sounds like an especially tough etude to play, although all of them really are. It's got a lighthearted ending into the upper range. Etude 10, the final one, explosive. It's marked allegro. Explosive, very fast opening again. Pedal heavy with a harmonic haze hovering above. Jablonski discreetly contrasts sections via his heavier or lighter use of the pedal here. This has a perpetual motion quality to it. It's all high speed and complex in its figuration all the way through. Banged out chords and the piece. Next, we get two more etudes. Um, this is called two etudes on double notes, which I guess, by which she means, I guess, two notes played at the same time because mm -hmm. I'm not hearing any repeated notes. 1955. These etudes are written to perfect the execution of double note figures. So the track 12 is labeled moderato, ballad-like and slow. It's got a quiet 3-4 rhythm as the right hand plays its theme with harmony in thirds, I think. It's slow with a dramatic crescendo just before 1 minute and 30 seconds. There's a bit of Debussy in the harmony in this work and in certain phrases. The double note figures are in there as part of the harmony with one note repeating and the other moving. That's really pretty. And the other etude is marked Vivace. This is track 13. It's energetic and it demands artistic freedom of interpretation and technical command of the instrument according to the booklet note. Uh, this is an upbeat type of jerky rhythm at the beginning. It opens the piece and continues. It sounds like keeping the momentum in this jerky rhythm is one of the challenges of the piece that Yablonsky meets well. It's the same type of rhythm we heard last week in Adams's, uh, John Adams's Lollapalooza. It just kind of can't really... Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of odd. It kind of lumbers along. It doesn't feel like it's really picking up speed. Now, there's a bit of the circus to the brief departures from the main theme, and it's got a lightly humorous ending on the last two chords. Okay, now to my ears, all of this is preparation for the next two works, which are two piano sonatas. This is really the, the, the meat and potatoes of this album. I mean, the rest is just a big appetizer, a giant salad, as you were. <laughs> okay. Piano sonata number one. You know, the sonatas are dramatic. There's kind of a narrative quality to them. So her piano sonata number one is uh, composed in 1949, um, the booklet notes call it a demanding work, technically challenging while asking the performer for nuanced dynamics and sensitive interpretative skills. The work has a strong folkloristic character, which I have to say, I personally didn't hear. Again, Polish ears might think differently. I have, I guess I have an idea of what folkloristic means, you know, <laughs> that Eastern Europeans don't have, I guess, so they think of it differently. Anyway. The first movement is marked moderato. It starts out with an appealing descending figure in the bass that's answered with quieter rising figures in the upper range. Roiling figuration is heard at 40 seconds as the bass material rumbers, rumbles under the right hand themes. At a minute and 45 seconds, we get a quieter theme, still pretty active rhythmically though. A subtle Yablonsky crescendo leads us to a powerful climax but the harmony subtly changes and we're in a new section at 2 minutes and 35 seconds or so. By 3 minutes and 25 seconds, we're at a loud climactic section that tapers off into rising material 
at three minutes and 50 seconds. The music keeps subtly decrescendoing up to four minutes and 30 seconds with a slight crescendo just before that, where we get quiet material that becomes ominous in its harmony. There are quick mood and texture changes in this piece, and Yablonsky makes sure all of them register. The movement is rather short at 5 minutes and 43 seconds, but there's a lot packed into this. Um, it's compact in its wealth of material. It ends with a thunderous chord and a flourish in the right hand. The second movement, the slow movement, Andante Sostenuto, is also relatively short. It's less than 5 minutes. There are some appealingly dissonant harmonies accompanying the soft but rock-like theme. At 35 seconds, there's a gentler material in the high end. We hear some appealing open fifth chords. It seems to be a thing. I guess that's what they mean by the folkloristic character, mm -hmm. the, um, the open fifths. Uh, juxtaposed with those same fifths with dissonance added. I like the sound of this, um, the harmony here. Uh, that's after the first minute, if you want to hear it. This section reached a climax at around a minute and 50 seconds with a crescendo and a chord. After that, some quiet tones are allowed to sustain into oblivion. Then a quieter melodic section begins. The material at 3 minutes and 14 seconds is welcomely warm, though appealing dissonances start appearing in the accompanying chords. In this movement, I like the appealing themes and the surprise dissonances occasionally crashing in. The movement ends on gentle tones in the high end. The third movement is a scherzo, something playful or a joke. It's got a scale flourish at the beginning with bouncing rhythmic chords concluding the line. The movement is built on these th these two contrasting gestures, and there's rhythmic excitement throughout, drawing the ear and body in. Impressive playing here by Yablonski, really through the whole album. Uh, cheerful ending chord. The finale is marked molto allegro. It starts with a unison harmony at the beginning, quickly followed by cloudier figuration in the bass. The thematic material has a motor rhythmic drive to it. The pianist really doesn't get any time off in this entire piece. <laughs> a brief quiet section at a minute and 25 seconds quickly goes back into the rhythmic drive. At two minutes and 40 seconds, we get a brief slowing that builds to more high-speed figuration and a theme with repeated notes in the high rhythmic profile. This whole movement is rhythm-driven, and that rhythm is propulsive, a work that can only have been written in the 20th century, really, or onward. Triplets appear in the fourth minute in the thematic material, but give way to a high-speed buildup that simply dissipates and ends unemphatically, meaning quietly, but with a light sense of resolution. And finally, we get to Piano Sonata number two, written in 1953. The opening movement is uh, Maestoso and Agitato, two very disturbing markings, I have to say. <laughs> uh, and I'd say here, agitato is the operative word for the opening. We hear a big statement that isn't reassuring tonally. Figuration follows with rather granitic accompaniment and thematic material trying to flow, but remaining rather rigid. I'm hearing a lot of more pedaling in the sonatas than I heard in the earlier recordings on this album. Uh, something more light and descending snowflake-like takes over at a minute and 30 seconds. It's like a softness to the way the tone flutters down. We eventually get back to more granitic material, so there's a lot of contrast there. This comes across as a pretty abstract movement with loud granitic material being contrasted with lighter flowing material that eventually breaks up and arrives back at the loud maestoso theme. Yablonsky, of course, is attuned to every detail, making sure they all register in his approach. 
Um, again, he's very attentive to extreme contrasts. I was more attuned to the contrast than to any through line holding the movement together. Though it does feel of a piece in composition and performance. This is going to take more listens to put together intellectually. It's a very dense movement. Uh, perhaps the most brain-focused movement on the album. Um, when, I, when I say that, I mean between brain and the heart. This one really is going for the brain. It really wants you to think or to intellectualize what's happening, I think. Um, it ends with three very loud pounding chords. Um, it's a pretty grand rock-like movement. The second middle movement is, a, is marked Largo. It's the slow movement. This has a lucid, dignified chorale, and it closes with an unexpected fugato section. There's a tranquil opening on chords, as we would expect from a chorale, in direct contrast to the previous movement. Some of uh, Batsevitz's uh, characteristic dissonances sneak into the mostly tranquil chords, adding spice to something rather mild. I like the way harmony sneaks into the melody at around a minute and 28 seconds. By 2 minutes and 28 seconds, we've got repeating notes and chords that can't quite break away from the pattern they're in. You feel a lot of anxious tension here. The music gradually decrescendos to silence by 4 minutes and 10 seconds. And at that point, a fugato starts, sounding slightly like uh, Bach or like something out of the past, though the harmony is all 20th century. In the fifth minute, we reach the peak of a crescendo and we're hearing repeated notes again. By six minutes and ten seconds, we're back to the chorale chords of the opening, and the movement ends calmly, but without resolution. I rather liked the way it progressed. Third and final movement is a toccata, marked vivo, and it's in 3-8 in the form of a Polish folk dance called an oberek. This has some rapid figuration in the beginning, which gives way after loud tremolo chords to a rhythmic dance with a lot of pauses in it, making the rhythm tricky. The dance is in there, but it is covered a bit by figuration. Jablonski's clarity in the quick passages is very impressive. The movement is played dryly, a return to the minimal pedal of the opening of the program, though we do hear it used more in parts, like at uh, 2 minutes and 30 seconds. The dance rhythm is played dryly. In order to accentuate the rhythm, well, it's played, the dance rhythm is played dryly, meaning without pedal. Uh, to accentuate the rhythm. There's some demanding figuration at the end. We get the chord tremolos again and a rather abrupt chord to end the piece. This work, I'm sure, will repay repeated listenings. There's a lot in these three movements. It's pretty demanding, but appealing on a certain level at the same time, if you're ready, willing to do a little bit of work. As Jablonski mentions in his notes, the violin music of Batsevitz may have traveled well outside of Poland, but the piano music remains virtually unknown, and I'd say this is an ideal introduction to it. Jablonski is sensitive to every detail, drawing out contrast by setting melody and accompaniment in. High relief, there it is again, and providing appealing, subtle dynamic changes to certain lines. I will say that the approach Jablonski uses in putting across the wealth of detail in these works, the hardness of tone in louder passages, for example, and the minimum use of sustain pedal, makes this a tiring listen, not least because the music itself is new to my and probably your ears. So it's probably best to break this um, performance up, uh, this album up into listening sections, although it's programmed to be listened to straight through. It gets more and more challenging as it goes. Gorgeous recorded sound on this. I really like, I think Jablonski outdid himself here compared to the Stanchiski album we talked about last year, which was also very good. I thought that was excellent too. 
I like Yablonsky's adventurous approach to composers whose piano music is relatively unknown. So discover something new, I say. Listen to this. My impression changed a lot as I listened through it. The concert etudes are very busy works, but I didn't find them engaging uh, very much. They're probably mostly of interest to pianists who might want to uh, take a shot at the technical challenges and uh, new compositions possibly to them here. But mm -hmm. I, the other pieces are better, and the sonatas especially held my attention. Uh, they've got a lot of interesting modern dense harmonies, uh, a lot of variety in there, and a lot of unexpected changes in turns of <laughs> the directions the compositions go. So yeah. I kept being drawn in and uh, interested, uh, both rhythmically and harmonically, and then the structure of the compositions. So there are a lot of unexpected kind of twists in these, uh, yeah. in the sonatas especially. Yeah. But uh, like I say, it was new to my ears too. So probably, at least the sonatas I'll probably like more and more as I uh, get more familiar with them. Yeah. Okay. So our other, our third um, mm. Polish composer and the second one whose uh, music has recently been rediscovered. Uh, particularly on a um, symphonic, uh, a work of, uh, well, the composer is Misislav Weinberg. And um, there was a recording of his symphonies 2 and 12 that came out a few, well, not a few years, but a little more than a few years back now um, by a conductor who kind of made her name kind of playing them. Let me see. It's, um, who is it? Mirga Grazinte Tila. And she recorded his symphonies 2 and 21, not 12, sorry. I'm kind of flipping those numbers around. And that made a big splash. I actually sent these your way, and you thought they were pretty good, I remember. Um, she's made a new recording of um, his of two other symphonies of Weinberg's, which we will be talking about in future weeks, but not today. Uh, today, we have a recording of Weinberg's sonatas for violin solo. And these are played by Gidon Kramer on violin. Um, a violinist who's very, very expressive and really ideal for this kind of music. Um, and this is on the ECM New Series label. Now, right away, if you know anything about uh, music, EC anything on ECM is going to be a little different than what you're used to. <laughs> they're, they're a label, they release both classical and jazz releases, but they're a bit, they have their own sort of like artistic style and sound. And this is a good example of that. And Kramer himself is a violinist that fits this label really well. He's very adventurous and very um, kind of expressive in his playing. Anyway, Weinberg had a pretty uh, horrible childhood. <laughs> he, um, he lived from 1919 to 1996. Um, he lived in, um, I th he's Polish, but he I think he lived in Russia. And um, the uh, sonatas are programmed on this album in the reverse order they were composed in. So according to the booklet note, uh, I, I should get to that later. Anyway, Weinberg, he was sent abroad. I guess I'm going to talk about this a little later anyway. So anyway, let's get to that. Um, the sonatas on the album are programmed in reverse order they were composed in. So we get Sonata 3 first, then Sonata 2, then Sonata 1. Um, according to the booklet note by Wolfgang Sandner, Bach's Chacon for solo violin from his second partita forms the center of gravity for the entire Weinberg cycle. And that might be a good idea to keep in mind because you're going to hear some pretty harsh sounds in here. <laughs> but uh, if you keep that in mind, that might give you like a center to what you're hearing to balance yourself. 
this is in compositional terms, not in sound terms. Anyway, Sonata number no. three, Opus 126, was composed in 1979. It's a single movement work lasting about uh, 22 minutes, but it has several sections that lead into one another or lied into one another. So it's really several short, shorter sections. Uh, it's dedicated to Weinberg's father, a composer, conductor, and violinist at the Yiddish Theater in Kishinev, which is now in Moldova, the city, and the city was uh, renamed uh, Chisinau, and now it was Kishinev then. Um, his father, uh, Weinberg's father, with the rest of the family, was interned at the Lodz Ghetto in Poland and eventually died at the uh, Trauniki concentration camp during World War II. While Weinberg had fled the Soviet Union without them at the outbreak of the war. So there were Polish people, li Polish Jews living in Russia or at the time of the Soviet Union. That's, I, you know, now that I'm older, I think about that. You, you lose, you're that young and you lose your whole family at one hmm. swoop. That must be horrible. Um, you can kind of understand why a lot of these people's music sounds the way it does. Um, Kramer, Gidon Kramer drew up a hidden program for this particular work that will help you out a lot. Um, in listening to it, he thinks of it as seven sections. The first section would be the portrait of the father, and that has repetitive rhythmic agitation that momentarily relents in short, sustained double stops. Then a portrait of the mother, which is an intimate lyrical song in the high register, linear playing with, without substantial rhythmic accents. The third section would be a self-portrait of the composer as a child, which has lilting staccato with occasional random outbursts. The fourth section, transitional cadenza, extended playing in double stops. Section five, flight rampage, uh, raging lines, combinations of trills, if you wish, a sort of modern katcha or hunt. Sixth um, section, reminiscence of solitude. Um, this is a calm, brief motif, sustained notes, contemplation. And the seventh section, fantastic dance, dialogue with eternity, which features bleak sonorities lacking continuous rhythmic accentuation, unreal pizzicato, and ebbing tone. All right, if you want to follow that program, I'll tell you when each section starts during this description. Um, this is a very compelling work, I thought. It was the one, the work that on this album, which that I liked the most, and it's a pretty demanding listen, all the, the, this entire album. Oddly enough, I think it gets more demanding as it goes, even though the works are in reverse order that they were composed. You would think usually... A composer would be mm. adding to his harmonic library, but this, I think uh, Weinberg sort of pared it down as he went. Um, this is a pretty riveting performance by Kramer, by the way. Okay, this starts in the first section with sawed out. I'm going to use this word sawed a lot because it's like this harsh sound <laughs> to indicate the harsh sound that uh, Kramer often gets um, purposely in this uh, music. Um, sawed out repeated notes followed by harsh sounding double stops. Double stops are when you hear two notes at the same time on a violin. Kramer's a fantastic violinist as far as phrasing and sonority goes. Not content with a mere beautiful sound, which he can produce. Um, he varies his sonority and attack for expressive purposes. And I really admire him for that. He's Some violinists can be really um, kind of, oh, narcissistic about their sound let's say oh it has to have my beautiful sound uh you're not gonna put this work across if you have that attitude and kramer certainly does not uh, he's always compelling as a violinist is kramer and he is here too 
Uh, this sounds at the beginning like a pretty naughty work. Now, again, we're in this section about the father here. Um, and it's an unrelentingly aggressive section in an exciting way. Um, it's highly rhythmic. The section ends with a stratospheric, aggressively attacked high note at 5 minutes and 30 seconds, which is when section 2 starts. This is the lyrical portrait of the mother. It begins in the high end. It's a rather quiet section of music with short notes and some double stopping. The third section, the child, uh, starts at 9 minutes and 10 seconds with gentle staccato chords, followed by various statements, both staccato and legato. Uh, if this is a portrait of a child, he's a pretty quiet child, I'd say. At 12 minutes and 10 seconds, the fourth transitional cadenza section starts with sudden, aggressive, double-stopped chords. At 12 minutes and 45 seconds, the fifth flight section starts, and we get sudden, rapidly played lines with lots of repeated notes, along with heavily accented quarter notes that seem to angrily stomp along. There are also aggressive pizzicati at 15 minutes and 10 seconds, followed by downward winding figures ending on the same drawn-out bass note. The section ends with quiet pizzicati and an upward figure. At 16 minutes and 30 seconds, the sixth reminiscence section starts with softly bowed repeating notes, interrupted by occasional pizzicati or harmonics. We get the last fantastic dance section at 19 minutes and 19 seconds, when a light rhythm emerges and the violin plays its lines in a muted fashion. By 2 minutes and 30 seconds, we're at light staccato notes in the stratosphere, a really interesting squeaking sound, lots of harmonics in the last minute. It ends with a pizzicato note that bends upward, followed by a final bowed note. Uh, this is a pretty impressive piece of solo violin writing, not stylized as any kind of Baroque dance at all, but all immediate with an urgent presence, compelling all the way through. Especially, it's got that narrative quality, and that's what really keeps you engaged, if, as long as you kind of have a, an idea of what's happening. Having Kramer play, it certainly added to the impression it made. Uh, he doesn't let up at all in the moment, momentum for the entire 22 minutes, and I would say this particular piece is a must-hear for violin fans. Anyway, it kind of gets rougher from here. From two minutes, from tracks two to eight are Sonata Number no. Two, Opus Ninety Five of 1967. This is a fairly short work. Well, it's in seven movements, but the whole thing is 17 minutes long. About. Um, it's a little more conciliatory than the first Sonata, which we're going to hear at the end. It's, that's a really demanding listen. Um, there are technical complexities in this work. Uh, it's like a set of late romantic character pieces coarsened by modern modes of execution, but also imbued with a distinct sense of resignation. The first movement is labeled monody. It's mid-tempo and mechanically melodic. It starts loud and quiets down in the middle. Nothing fancy here, but appealing in its simplicity. We get some double-stopped second voices at the end. The second movement is called rests. It's staccato, short phrases, quietly played, and they are responded to by a loud outburst, then shivers of trills. Uh, this repeats, then the material continues to a resolution, followed by a trill, and an extension of the opening theme, followed by a long pause. This also repeats, then we get a loud melody to end the movement. The third movement is intervals, repeating double-stop chords played in short phrases with pauses between. There's some quirky, lopsided chord playing in the middle, then the opening material repeats, and a repeated note ends the piece at the end. The fourth uh, movement replies. 
has a quiet opening with a gentle melody played ending in an arpeggiated chord. Pizzicati are often heard after this. The bowed material comes back, starting with an arpeggiated chord. At a minute and 42 seconds, pizzicato material returns. Really the same gestures organized differently. The bowed violin makes a statement, then plays a quiet ending. Fifth movement, accompaniment, starts with pizzicati played very quietly. There are bowed motivic lines played expressionlessly with no vibrato. The sound is appealing, though, rather ghostly. Um, it has bowed and pizzicato gestures alternate very quietly in the second minute. Sixth movement, invocation, starts on a stark double-stopped chord, alternating with a single bass note. A double-stopped pattern brings us into a new section. Uh, this music is more expressive with light vibrato and digging in with the bow. The piece is pretty stark with a lot of shrieking chords in the higher end, alternating with an anchoring bass note in the first minute. I guess it sounds like a desperate type of invocation going by the title. And the uh, seventh movement is called uh, syncopes, which in this case uh, means the omission of sounds or letters from within a, from within a word. Uh, for example, if you pronounce the word comfortable as comfortable, you've taken the F-O-R-T out. Um, anyway, that's what a syncope is. Uh, so I'm guessing that certain tones are just being taken out of the phrases. This has a lot of harshly sawed double-stopped chords going into a harsh harmonic occasionally as well. By the 52nd mark, we get rapid harsh playing, followed by repeated notes where the violin digs into the string. Ends on some harsh high harmonics, strummed pizzicati, and an ending phrase. Okay, the uh, final work on the disc, Sonata Number 1, Opus 82, composed in... 1964 is deeply marked by radical expressivity and in my opinion is the most difficult listen on the album um it's it's pretty rough going and it's also got it's got five movements in this one the first one is marked adagio allegro and it starts with a bass note followed by double stopped chord pattern dominating the opening there's some gloriously harsh tones in the double stopped chords the movement goes on with some single line runs between the double stops, but they keep coming back. The movement is formed around them. At the three minute mark, there are some shrieking downward figures, all short patterns. There really are no long lines in this movement at all. It sounds very sectional and fragmentary. Those shrieking patterns come back at three minutes and 40 seconds, lead to the double stopped chord patterns. By four minutes and 42 seconds, we're back to the opening pattern. The second movement, marked on Dante, has a far more gentle, quieter, and not harsh sound. It sings a lament in melodic style. There are those characteristic discordant double-stopped chords appearing after a minute and 45 seconds, and I really enjoyed how effectively Kramer puts across the melodic material with the double-stopped harmony at 2 minutes and 40 seconds or so and onwards. These movements all seem to be ternary, and that's going to be helpful if you keep that in mind. Uh, we hear the opening melody at the end from 4 minutes and 30 seconds or so to the end. Ternary means there's going to be a middle section and then the opening section repeats. The third movement, Allegretto, starts um, with a pizzicato pattern followed by some staccato bowed notes in the stratosphere of the violin's range. The music brightens a bit with short motifs, climbing in frequency. There are some ghostly soft passages at around the minute and 20 second mark. I enjoyed the light playing at the two-minute mark, and all of these soft passages are followed by brief pizzicato sections. Um, this ends quietly. 
The fourth movement, Lento, has a loud, screeching, double-stopped, two-chord patterns, followed by a pause for the opening of this movement. At 30 seconds, we get a screechy bowed figure. The two-chord pattern reemerges at a minute and 45 seconds or so, with the screechier tones and longer pauses. Listen for the two-note plus pause pattern. It structures the movement, and it's virtually everywhere. The fifth movement is presto, and it starts without a pause from the last movement with a trilling figure that rises quietly through the violin's middle range, at times taking flight as scales and rapidly bowed repeated notes. There's a bit of rhythmic momentum generated by this movement, something we haven't heard on the entire album, really. So it comes as a refreshing change. There's a lot of detail within those quickly bowed patterns, enticing to the ear. A pretty thrilling end to the perpetual motion bowed material occurs at around the five-minute mark, where we hear lots of double-stop chords, right to the dramatic stock chord at the end. Okay, this is our pretty challenging listen. Um, but could anyone else possibly put these across with the magnetism that Guidon Kramer brings to his playing? What other violinist is going to play these works and come across with anything beyond abstract sounds? Um, this set is really worth hearing just because of Kramer himself, really. Um, their work's well worth your time, but they sound hard to put across, and Kramer brings out all sorts of expression from them. I would say the work to hear on this album is really Sonata Number no. 3, the opening work. Its multi-section single-movement narrative style makes it easy to follow. The other two sonatas are more abstract, but well worth hearing in these performances. Um, I really can't recommend this album to everyone. It's a tough listen. There are a lot of harsh sounds, um, which I kind of grew to like from my punk rock and rock and roll days when we had a lot of harsh sounds too, <laughs> but really not like this. Um, I, I, I kind of wonder if the, the punk rockers and the, uh, the, the people after the war <laughs> were kind of going for the same sort of, um, you know, nihilistic sort of <laughs> you know feeling, trying to put it across mm. or something like that. I really doubt there will be any other performance who achieve the expression of these works Kramer does here, assuming they'll even record them. This may be the only recording we ever hear of these works. Um, so if the composer, the soloist, and or the violin interests you, and especially if double-stopped violin interests you, because double-stops are everywhere on this album, I would say make sure you hear this. Uh, for the rest of you, approach with caution. <laughs> yeah, this was the hardest work of... Uh... <laughs> Did you approach with caution, Russ? Um, I continued with dread uh, as the screeches came. <laughs> um, I liked the screeches, though. I thought they were really well, cool. They, I mean, the I'm violin playing, older, though, but the technique is uh, is very impressive. Uh, it seems to have uh, just about every possible technique on the mm. violin is explored here. Um, extremely light playing, too, which I found uh, impressive. Uh there are some lyrical parts, but there's a lot of focus on all the things I don't like about the violin. Uh. <laughs> and, that's, and it's constant violin, you know, so it was a really hard one uh, for me to appreciate musically, although I could admire the violin mastery. And uh, as you say, the big effort to make these musical and draw out uh, all the parts of them. And it must be a real uh, endurance feet uh to uh, play through these two um, but yeah. i would yeah same caveat for uh violinists and fans of uh solo violin only yeah, violinists looking for a challenge maybe um if you're in school um 
Um, Kramer, by the way, he's he's Latvian, um, born in the USSR back in the day. But I get the impression that if any, if we had heard these played by any other violinist, I can't imagine anyone who would who would play these in such an expressive way. I don't think we would have liked them. Mm. You know, even here though, but you can kind of hear that there's really this kind of I think of expressionism. Think of um, like the German expressionist movement in film, like the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari or Nosferatu. If you've ever seen yeah, those movies, yeah. and you see the the weird sets mm-hmm. they had in those movies, this this music kind of sounds like it comes from that aesthetic, where it's kind of aware of it. Let's say, mm-hmm. um, yeah, very very expressive, trying to yeah. give you this feeling of dread and horror. You know? <laughs> Not the kind of thing we want to feel usually, but. Uh, you know, these these people want to be heard too. So, well, it's interesting. Know. You know, mm-hmm. this uh, normally we don't associate all of the possible emotions with music. Um, right. You know, and they're only used for an effect or something in a soundtrack. But you know, you can get more on the darker side and angry side uh, of music sometimes too. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess it's good to stretch your emotional palette uh, to right. new realms. And, and for all the noise the punk rockers made, they weren't suffering anywhere near the way these people did. <laughs> no, no. Jeez. No. So, anyway. So, there you go. And that's your uh, classical Polish for this week. A, real, a bit of a demanding listen at the end there, but uh, yeah. give it a shot. Check it out. Um, the mm. piano's kind of interesting. Uh, you need a I challenge. Think, yeah. Your ears need a workout. They're getting flabby. <laughs> right now, I would have never guessed that we would be able to put together all Polish jazz as well, but I just happened to have three and only three on my list. So uh, I yeah. maybe made choices I I wouldn't have normally, but it, it's turned out to be pretty interesting. And, that has happened to me too. Yeah. We, mm. uh, you know, we've had some Hungarian jazz and uh, as we said, lots of Italian, French, uh, Scandinavian jazz, Greek jazz, but no Polish yet. And yeah. uh, I'm not very familiar with uh, Polish jazz artists and the Polish scene. I know, uh, what is the trumpeter? Thomas Stanko. Tomasz Stanko. Yeah, yeah. That, that's who I knew too. And just, uh, the pianist, Wlodek Pawlik, uh, a really fine okay. pianist who uh, Randy Brecker did some work with uh, and I have a, mm. at recording uh, that. Now, that's about it. Yeah, because I know Tomasz Stanko's music, he's kind of a he's a bit of a downer to be honest. He's oh. a great player, but he he kind of had this sort of um, melancholic sort of um, you know playing among the ruins kind of style of, <laughs> of playing. So I, I had the impression that all three of these um, jazz albums are going to be a uh, you know in that sort of field sort of, but uh, not at all. They're all very different from each They're other. Very really. different. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty and amazed by this. We're going to uh, start out with uh, a guitar trio here and uh, this is called past lines to self-released recording by boogie skidrinsky hope i'm saying that right lots of there's lots <laughs> of names to pronounce and i can say thankfully at least most of the song titles on these records are in english so i'm, I'm willing to i'm willing to bet that his mother didn't name him boogie when he was born no no it's his nickname I don't know what his <laughs> he name took is. that name by himself yeah. Boogie Skierzynski. Yeah. It's a anyway, great this name. Is really. His first yeah. original album of music, and he's a session guitarist and often plays as a sideman. Uh, okay. his, now, when you say that, uh, do you mean wood. like he uh, he has other albums with, of covers? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, okay. It's the only one that's uh, 
I found on the streaming there. So maybe only available in Poland. Uh, okay. But this is all of his uh, content, mostly here. There's a couple of uh, covers here, but his original compositions and mm -hmm. a lot of diversity in the sound here. Uh, also, there's a couple solo guitar pieces. And it's a very kind of uh, contemporary jazz approach and concept I think you can hear on here. And also, this will be really interesting uh, to guitar players because I think he has an interesting style and uh, approach of, with the, both his solo lines and the way he plays chords and things. And so all the compositions here, except uh, for Body and Soul, the old standard uh, Johnny Green, are his compositions. So uh, we've got Bugis Kedrinsky on guitar, Grazagors Piaseki, bass, and uh, Matosh Maniak <laughs> Best on drums. Best wishes with this list. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll say that again. Matosh Maniak on drums. There you go. Okay. There we go. And so we're going to start out here with a tune called Sis Melodies. That's S-I-S. Gets going with a drum roll. And right away, you're going to get a sense of Skidzinski's rich tone. Uh, it's a mm -hmm. very warm sounding uh, guitar tone that he has. He also uses a noticeable reverb on his sound throughout the recording. But it's tasteful and he makes it part of his sound and phrasing. And I'll mention more about that as we go along. Uh, this tune has an easy 8-beat feel to it and a pulsing syncopated act interaction between Piasecki's bass and the guitar melody lines. Uh, you know, that's another trait through uh, his tunes. The way the, the bass and guitar integrate is really interesting. Uh, Skidrinsky's solo is flowing and rhythmic. It's full of accents, but he never has a sharp attack on any of the notes here. Uh, he plays mostly relaxed lines, but occasional bursts of speedier notes let you know he has chops in reserve. Uh, he just tends to focus more on musical phrasing. Uh, Maniac provides a lot of variety on drums uh, with simple textures, varied fills, sharp rim hits. And after the solos, there's a repeat of the melody, and then they vamp out over Piasecki's pulsing bass, bring it down softly uh, with some rhythmic guitar riffs at the end. Track two is Monday. Uh, this one starts out with a repeated rhythmic C note on the guitar and a slightly ominous bass line that works around it. Cymbal textures paint little extra textures in the background. Then uh, the guitar takes the melody in the next section, keeping a repeating pedal note going through the lines. Uh, the, the tune starts with an even four beat meter, but there's a change up uh, to three or six beats uh, for interesting rhythmic exchange between the guitar and bass. Uh, then Skidrinsky takes the pedal tone into a descending line uh, to start his solo. And without that tone, uh, the pedal tone repeating, there's a sense of lightning. Uh, and the drum also seems to lighten up here. Uh, Piasecki adds uh, some bass harmonics uh, to get things started. And then uh, Skidrinsky has spaced out phrases in his solo with answering phrases from the bass. So there's a nice little dialogue going on there. Uh, when he includes chord ideas in his lines, he pays attention to the voice leading uh, in the other notes very nicely, which I noticed uh, is a kind of uh, part of his style. So you get other little counter lines that form uh, underneath his melody. That's another thing to listen to. Uh, his solos are fresh, and so far I haven't heard any cliches 
uh, in his ideas or, you know, little licks that uh, guitarists resort to when they uh, don't have anything fresh. Everything sounds uh, very fresh and original. And after the solos, they work back into the pedal tone melody for another round. Track three is Super Sick SIC, number 58. <laughs> I wonder what 57 was. Uh, <laughs> or one through 56, yeah. really. <laughs> uh, this starts with a fat and choppy bass line. Uh, drums add a clicky, even groove, and Skidrinsky adds choppy chords and slinky melody lines on top of that. The syncopation really pushes this one along. Uh, the drums drop out, and the bass and guitar pulse together for a bit before the click returns. And then Skidinski solos with faster fluid lines over the pulsing bass. I like how he answers his own phrases uh, with chords and lower ideas uh, on the guitar and spots. He also uses the reverb effect in the timing of his phrases really well. Uh, it becomes part of, like, you know, his spacing of phrases and answering. Uh, Maniak gets a drum solo around bass and guitar synced interjections, and he's a drummer that pays attention to the tones of his drum kit uh, very well as he chooses ideas. Uh, they go around the original melody once more to finish it off. Then we're going to get The Body and Soul, Johnny Green, Jazz Standard. Uh, this is a short solo rubato rendition. Uh, Skidunski spotlights his counter lines, arpeggiated chords, and rhythmic variation uh, very nicely while keeping everything flowing and lyrical. Uh, just a nice uh, short version of this. Track five, Fun Show, F-U-N-C-H-A-L. Uh, the chord from Body and Soul rings into the start of this song as uh, Piaseki starts a rhythmic bass line. A seven-beat groove starts to form, and the rhythmic and melodic interaction between bass and guitar really make this one happen. Uh, Skidrinsky's solo here is more subtle, with interesting harmonic exploration and more varied articulation, soft ringing chords. Before a return to the melody, he adds some nice satellite sounding uh, sound effects, you know, something like you would hear back <laughs> yeah. in the 60s on guitar, and it's just a nice little touch. Track six is Dots and Stars. This one has a lush intro with melody, chords, and bass ideas all on just the guitar. Uh, then the bass joins in uh, with the guitar for a line with light cymbals as the free-flowing melody comes along. It mostly seems to have an 8-beat pulse. Uh, Piaseki gets a bass solo with a clear woody tone and good rhythmic phrasing. Nice subtle drum brushing behind him too. And then Skidrinsky's solo has a lot of pearly sounding notes. Uh, they have that little round shape to the tone. Uh, and they ring with reverb that matches the sparse atmosphere of the song. Maybe they're more star-like, uh, I don't know, dots and stars. Uh, track seven, Ajisai, and uh, we know that word here because it's the Japanese uh, word for hydrangea plant. Uh, mm -hmm. I have two in my house here. Um, and this is a contrasting acoustic guitar solo piece. Um, Skinnerski plays clear, slightly um, melancholy melody lines with rhythmic lower parts. And it's interesting to hear here that he uses a sh much sharper articulation on the high strings, you know, for the melody line. And then the other parts are more of a muted articulation. Uh, you know, it's something that makes this contrast even more uh, other than the acoustic guitar sound. Anyway, it's an interesting, um, nice, another original piece here. 
Track eight, Santa Maria. This one's an interesting rhythmic tune that feels like it's in a 10-8 meter. I'm not sure, but <laughs> you listen to it and count yeah, it I out. couldn't tell myself. Uh, Skidersky plays the melody line with softer rhythmic figures underneath. Uh, there's a contrasting, more syncopated section with fine bass interplay again here. And then Skidersky has another fluid solo on this tune, highlighting accented phrases that seem to surf over the unique rhythms. Uh, they work through the melody again, and Maniac does some very nice drumming uh, and snare work underneath at the end. Track nine is Stolen. It's a softly swinging eight-beat tune with a good pulse from the bass. Here, Skidrinsky uses a little more sharp articulation at times and some sliding figures in his line, also leaving uh, spaces between his phrases. And I like how he uses reverb for a timed echo effect uh, into the rhythm of his chords. So he's counting on that reverb uh, pulse to be part of the rhythm. It's a nice touch. Uh, Piaseki gets a bass solo with some ringing high register ideas as well. And we're going to finish up with the title track, Past Lines. Uh, Skidrinsky starts it with a ringing and pretty repetitive riff. Bass and drums enter and it builds up in a 6-8 feel. There's a pause and it builds up again from soft guitar chords and slightly eerie high bass bowing uh, that also then works into a bass solo from uh, Piasecki. Uh, he really makes it cry out here, longing phrases, and uh, Skidrinsky has a really liquid solo in this one with some bursting lines, uh, and he brings it down soft before working back into the riff melody with energizing drum fills from Maniac to close it up. So I thought it's an interesting and enjoyable guitar trio recording. Skidrinsky's playing is fluid, but with uh, a lot of rhythmic elements to it. He gives you a lot to listen to in additional lines and good chord playing as well. His tone's always rich and he uses reverb musically. I find his solo ideas to be fresh and inventive. The tunes have different meters and feels uh, with a lot of syncopated surprises in the lines along the way. Uh, as I mentioned, Piasecki's bass integrates with the guitar lines uh, as an integral part of a lot of the songs and his solos are also fresh and tasty drumming from Maniac as well. Uh, so anyone who likes uh, jazz guitar and some original music, uh, I think will find this one enjoyable and I'm going to uh, look for more of his recordings. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I like this a lot too. Um, it, I want to say this is also true of like Pierre Nunzi's, um, Enrico Pierre Nunzi's piano playing, where there's a lot of like classical influence in it. You feel like they kind of live and breathe the classical music and then jazz kind of, mm. it, it sort of gets in there. So he's, he's sort of like a, it's not a hybrid. It's, it's definitely a jazz record, but I hear a lot of classical influence in it. Like you said, the way like these note leading sort of things and yeah. the way he'll, uh, integrate everything this is first of all i wanted to say it's an excellent recording it's very clear and very upfront it sounded great um this was my favorite album of the three jazz albums this week right here i'll just say that right away um it's got a laid it's kind of laid back um it's kind of an atmospheric album and uh i feel like skirzinski has a heartfelt quality to the way he phrases. Also, I'm hearing all those kind of connections. Like he's very sensitive to like the whole shaping of the melodies and how they're going to fit into each other. Hmm. And he can be touching, especially in body and soul, which I found that to be really touching. Um, that's his main appeal for me. Um, his phrasing and his kind of like sort of light emotional 
impact that he makes. He's got a clean, smooth tone. I, I thought this was an album that was, um, it's an end of the day album, I think. You know, it just really feels perfect for that, you know, sunset or mm-hmm. you know, just before bed or something like that. So I, I thought this was great. By the way, you had mentioned that um, Ajisai, the hydrangea plant, kind of brought back this memory of me that when we were working together at one of the high schools, um, the, the schools in high schools in Japan have a sports day in November, and um, the, the school kind of divides into four different sections, sort of like the uh, the Harry Potter um, houses. <laughs> they all play like these uh, sporting events. And I remember that year that they, <laughs> the, the the students there, I guess it was – they, they, it was mostly the girls that were setting up the, uh, the, the team names and they gave all the team names, names of flowers. Like that, there was a hydrangea team. Oh. And we were wondering about that. We were saying, well, you know, if you're going to pick a flower, wouldn't you pick like a tough flower, like a Venus flytrap? <laughs> yeah. Or a stinkweed or something <laughs> <Yes>. like that. Or so that's really going to throttle the other teams, you know, mm. yeah, they, they picked all these pretty flower names. And the boys didn't seem to care. It was really funny. They just kind of wanted yeah, to play. It's kind of interesting. Sort of a Japanese yeah. thing. Flowers. They love flowers here. Yeah. yeah it's it's a cultural so. thing, too. Yeah. Really. So I just wanted to, yeah. A little cultural that. enrichment there. There you go. <laughs> a little cultural enrichment for the <laughs> for the audience that happens in the high schools. Yeah. And let's see. we got a Trio again next. Uh, this one's a little bit uh, different kind of thing. And we've got the... Machai Gozniak trio. Yeah. And on New Beat Records with uh, recording Mariana, which is yeah. uh, kind of a dedication to his grandmother. And uh, all the notes were in Polish for this one, so I had to translate them into English. So just trying oh, to get man. the gist out of it. Would you use Google Translate for that? <laughs> uh, I used a different one, I think. Oh, Deep but L. did it come out okay? Could you well, actually? Kind of, yeah. Because Google Translate gives me some weird stuff sometimes. Yeah. So I guess this is their uh, second recording after one two years ago, uh, the Orchid, which it was called, talking about flower names. And um, Golzniak is the uh, percussionist here as the leader uh, of this group. And we've also got, uh, let's see, Lucas Damerich on piano and synthesizer and some Rhodes piano. And we've got uh, Robert Schudl on electric and acoustic bass guitars. And we've got a couple of guests, uh, trumpet and flugelhorn, Lucas Koribalski, and uh, saxophone on one track here. That's uh, Zabigniv Namizlovsky. You know, hearing you do this reminds me of, remember that show Wild Kingdom with yeah. Marlon Perkins? Yeah, of course. And Marlon Perkins narrated the show, and it would always, he'd always be saying something like, "I'll stand behind this tree while Jim stares into the throat of the king cobra." You know, <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like that's what's happening here. Yeah. Like you're saying all these names, and I'm just kind of hiding yeah. behind the tree, yeah. you know, waiting for the animal to attack. You know, yeah, um, yeah. There's some uh, <laughs> some difficult things for English speakers to pronounce. Them. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, it's supposedly uh, the concept is these compositions. There's seven on the album. They make a, a story about love and longing uh, through the language of rhythm and emotion. And as I said, it's a tribute to the memory of his grandmother, who he had a uh, exceptionally close bond with. So let's check out these tunes. Number one, Mr. KLX 
Uh, and this one starts with some drum rolls into a heavy beat. Uh, bass and rolling piano create a minor mood here for a kind of ominous unison minor syncopated melody of sax, uh, trumpet, keyboard, and bass. It's a very thick sound, uh, but it lightens into a ringing piano section over a thick, I guess, fretless bass sound uh, and a kind of straight eight beat feel in the drums. Uh, the ominous theme returns with drum fills and some improvised cries from the horns, then back to the ringing piano section for another round. Uh, Namaslavsky is up for a tenor sax solo first. It works from the softer piano section into the more dense minor ominous chords, and he goes from slinky lines to more angsty cries on the sax. His tone has an interesting wavering vibrato to it. Uh, Damrish is next on piano, keeping an even slow bass line in his left hand with clear right hand figures exploring some harmonic ideas. Then Shudla gets a bass solo sounding more like a low electric guitar with lots of fuzzy effect as the drums and piano make a wash of sound around him and get insistent with synced accented figures. It lightens again for what I think is a flugelhorn solo from Korobowski. Uh, he makes it sparse and atmospheric with lots of reverb on his sound, and then drums kick it back into the opening ominous melody and fill in the phrase gaps uh, that push to the end. Track two, Stand Still My Dear. Uh, this one kicks in with a thick synth bass sound and a funky clicky groove. Uh, Domrich plays rhythmic rolling piano figures under a trumpet solo line from Korobowski and then continues on. Uh, the rhythm breaks up a bit, for the trumpet to come back in with a solo. Uh, he's more animated here with faster phrases. Then Domrich has a section of ringing piano triplets into a more high register piano section. The trumpet returns uh, with some more modal ideas. Uh, the piano groove continues on for a while until there's a big pause. The piano with a kind of pitch wavering effect and bass have some hits before the groove resumes for more ringing piano ideas. Then Bass, piano, and trumpet work together on a riff, with the trumpet jumping off for some more long lines and uh, other runs. And it ends with a little rhythmic tag section of piano and a farewell lick from the trumpet. It's a very funky and electronic tune. Track three, Where Art Thou? A uh, cymbal splash, bass trills and doodles, and some high piano tinkles make a sparse setting for a longing and reverby trumpet call and trills. Um, very slow drum beat in six forms, and then the mood lightens with some major chords in an uplifting progression. There's a lot of space for bass fills and piano trickles. Uh, Korbelowski re-enters on a lyrical theme with improvisations on a trumpet. And past midway, the beat drops out for some sparse piano and drum accents. It builds up to a new beat soon with staccato muted bass sounds. And Domrich solos gently, and then works into more dense ringing chords as Korbelowski comes back for some high crying phrases on the trumpet. They resolve the tension back into the uplifting progression. It gets sparse with ringing piano and soft trumpet little puckered f phrases uh, at the end. That's kind of a spacious and unhurried song. Track four, Solaris. Uh, drums fade in with a subdivided funky eight-beat groove. Uh, they get joined by some sustained bass and pretty ringing piano phrases. The drums here and on the whole album have a really big bass uh, drum sound, uh, and but also a lot of edge to cut through. So since the drummer is the leader, 
I think he makes sure that he gets the uh, mics just right to carry the drum sound through. Uh, they add some high-flying synth lines on top of that mix, and Domrich gets a hypnotic piano interval line locked in with a drum groove for a while. It breaks it into some rolling two-handed chord playing, and then more chiming section uh, before a kind of zany, busy section and uh, working the synth back in. Uh, he works a synth line solo for a while and then a syncopated left hand line synced with the bass over uh, the uh, drums uh, kind of softly chugging along. Schudler gets some bass solo time and shows off some smooth chops with uh, ringing piano adornments mixed in. And next there's some intense buzzing synth that builds like a kind of insect <laughs> swarm. Uh, the tension uh, builds up into more soaring synth lines, and it clears to rolling piano figures over the bass and drum groove, and finally uh, some chiming to finish it. Track five, Mints, her favorite. <laughs> a soft ringing piano with minor modal motifs creates an eerie atmosphere into which the drums add... Uh, bass drum hits and rapid little snare figures. Uh, the piano is then off on a more dreamy progression with a lot of sustain. Uh, there's a pause and reset to the sparse minor motif again. Uh, Wozniak adds more clicks around the drum kit and the piano gets dreamy again, continuing to a soft ending. It's a very unusual combination of these little drum ideas and then uh, piano harmonies. Uh, mm. <laughs> uh, unusual contrast here. Track six, Inflorescence. Uh, drum toms started out with a hint of tambourine-like shakes in there too. Uh, thick bass joins in and the piano plays simple rising lines over a six-beat groove. It gains momentum and moves ahead with the same rising lines over more harmonies. Uh, Domrich plays more chord ideas and then higher rhythmic and ringing ideas as Goldsnack adds weight uh, to the drum groove. A bass and piano then sync up with ascending figures to a rather sudden ending. Yeah, this. Um, I just want to say this particular track reminded me of... Uh the one of the tracks on side two of um the talking heads album remain in light hmm. you know the first track you know the first side was all the first three tracks were all like this big rhythmic explosion and then side two is all these kind of you know it got slower as it went and this reminds me of one of those in fact this whole album's like progression kind of <laughs> moves like that as well i'm kind of wondering if they're thinking of the remain in light album here <laughs> I'd like to hear from them hmm. yeah we're going to end up with uh i miss you grandma a slow, low, and lush piano intro with phrases uh, that end in kind of open chords uh, intervals mm -hmm. there. Uh, Korbowski adds a gentle trumpet line on top, and Gozniak joins in very lightly with drum brushes as Downrich takes back over with the sparse and ringing tender piano uh, phrases. Trumpet returns for more smooth and pretty lines, and Gozniak has kicked up things a bit harder on the drums for more of a push to Domrich's next piano section, but then the drums pull back for some final melodic lines from the trumpet, and it ends with a soft ringing piano. Uh, it's a kind of tender tribute uh, tune. So mm -hmm. I found that an interesting recording. The structures are kind of free, and you're never really sure what's coming next. <laughs> or yeah. Is there a new strain, a, a different solo? Um, it, so it, it kind of keeps you uh, wondering with the freshness. Wozniak's uh, drums are clear and present in the recording. There's an interesting mix of bass tones <laughs> in there, uh, from uh, kind of fretless things to that uh, more guitar-like uh, fuzzy one. Uh, 
And uh, Dominic's tasteful piano and zany synth uh, adds some variety too. There's a little sax and then the atmospheric trumpet of Korobowski, um round out the sound. So it's a fresh and uh, modern kind of take uh, and a little insight into a Polish jazz, uh, probably on the edge of modern things. Hmm. I, 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 first of all, I thought this was really different than a lot of the jazz we've been hearing on this podcast. It was kind of unique. So it, it also subverted my expectations of Polish jazz hmm. as well. I really liked the electric, aggressive quality to the album. There were some really cool, funky grooves that were a bit off kilter. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a nice sounding ballad in Where Art Thou. Um, it was really interesting at the beginning, and there's some good grooves toward the end as it slows down a bit. Mm -hmm. I thought the last three, three tracks kind of slowed the album down. But again, I'm wondering if it isn't one of these like sort of talking heads remain in light type things as the model, because that's what that album does too. It just kind of slows down and gets more sort of brooding towards the end. Um, well, the, the last two tracks are appealing, though. I don't want to say anything negative about them, but I think I just wanted this to be this big funk fest that it started with. Oh, well, it's a tribute yeah, to his grandmother, really so, you know. Yeah, well, especially the end, you get the tribute to his grandmother, you can't really make that funky, yeah, I know. Um, I would have liked a more upbeat ending, though, because, you know, he had the tribute to his grandmother at the end, and I was feeling really sad, and then the album ended. Well, this so, is different from yeah. anything I usually choose because one of the criteria for most of my choosing is I, I don't pick things that have a lot of electronics on them. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. One, because I prefer acoustic recordings and, and two, it's just another way for me to focus uh, on things. So I'll usually go right. for something that's got as much acoustic uh, sounds as possible and, you know, nothing, unless it's a new artist, like a new singer, mm -hmm. uh, nothing with uh, like all standards. You know, um, you want to so, do all standards? Oh, this is a new I, singer. Okay. Yeah, I want to have uh, you know some new uh, yeah. originals on there uh, usually. Right. But if it's a new singer, I think, or a new artist, you know, we want to hear what you can do on standards before you start writing your own compositions. They probably aren't as good <laughs> if you're yeah. you know a new face. But uh, I have to say here, it's more electronic than uh, I would normally go. But I like the way they tastefully uh, integrate that uh, in there and get some interesting. Uh, effects uh, as well yeah so anyway uh, the, the jazz guys write right back to us a lot like when yeah. we kind of tag them and uh i'm really wondering if we could hear from this guy i want to i want to know what he thinks about my talking heads remain in light yeah. kind of comparison because <laughs> i kind of feel like it's there i don't know yeah. we'll find we'll out see, see yeah. we'll find out all right and the last recording is uh Spirit to All, and uh, this is on the jazz label. That's the name of the label. Got a uh, bass-led quintet here by Wojtek Mazolewski. It says, uh, Spirit to All was created as an answer to our spiritual needs. This okay. This is uh, writing. Uh, During my preparations for the recording, I felt simultaneous connection between myself and everything around me. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's got impressive. a little kind of spiritual vibe here. And um, uh, later on, he says, uh, well, I guess this is, you know, out of a pandemic experience too. Uh, until 2020, we were touring the world. And despite all the travel limitations that followed, we wanted to say we are here. We are all in it together. Uh, so this album is about spiritual needs, limitless and loving understanding and compassionate development. 
But first, the personnel. We've got, uh, as I said, Wojtek Mazalewski on bass, and we've got uh, Marek Pospiszelski on tenor sax, and also a couple other instruments that aren't credited here. I'll mention that as we go on. Uh, Oshkar Turuk, trumpet, Joanna Duda, piano, and Kubia Janitski on drums. Uh, but there's a lot of other percussion instruments on here too that the rest of the musicians uh, play because they're all credited with percussion as well. This one starts out with the title track, Spirit to All. It's a long track, 11 and a half minutes. Uh, it starts out with uh, a shaker sound, triangle, uh, lots of various other percussion uh, things uh, in there, and rhythmic piano figures that open it up uh, in a rubato swell of sound uh, with distantly recorded voices as well and bowed bass. Uh, interesting mix. I, I did like the way the piano was like used as a percussive instrument in the beginning too, yeah, with the pounding cool. repeated note. Yeah. Uh, trumpet and sax come in on long lines that uh, contrast to the flowing waves of piano. Uh, it's a minor melody and moves in phrases that breathe and swell. Uh, there's a pause at about two and a half minutes and a bowed bass swells a bit until we're left with only trilling piano uh, that works into a single line of notes. Then an ostinato bass brings in a steady six-beat groove with light drumming. The horns come back uh, with a minor legato melody and Duda keeps more animated chords and piano fills in contrast. The horn theme continues for another round and then uh, Pospiszelski is up for a tenor solo uh, which had been hinted at with a few trailing phrases from the earlier horn sections like the sax wanted to break out and now's the chance. Um, he starts it light and trilly working into some more rhythmic licks over similarly busy piano lines, uh, then gets into long sustained trills, building up tension. Turuk follows on trumpet, uh, starting out with more chromatic and harmonic exploration. The drums have changed up to a, um, more busy and clicky ideas, and Duda's piano is sinking busy figures to the drums underneath. Turuk works into some higher rips and flutter tonguing, and then a long, low, bluesy phrase uh, to end up the solo. Things go back to rubato for another run through the legato horn theme with Duda filling in the gaps with piano figures and chimes over a bowed bass that swells to the end. Track two. Uh, now we're going to go to a kind of really short tune uh, called Ghost Town. And uh, hmm. maybe it's kind of like a little tone poem of walking through a ghost town. Uh, it does kind of feel like the theme of ghosts is relevant yeah. to the sound this piece makes. Uh, a soft drum roll and muted piano tones. I think that's what it is. Like someone's got their hand on the strings because uh, it mentions hmm. it's a grand piano here. Um, bring in breathy horn lines and an eerie high bowed bass line. It moves very slowly, kind of swelling and ebbing. There are ghostly um, kind of uh, stifled trumpet tones and other strikes on the piano strings uh, and other percussion sounds. There's some ringing, uh, like maybe a kalimba and a small xylophone uh, too. Uh, I'm not quite sure. It moves along and kind of ends like a walk through a ghost town, actually. It's a, just an atmospheric uh, little piece. Track three, The Power of the People. Uh, this one's got a heavy and rhythmic low piano chords to a slow drum groove in four with long bass notes. The horns enter with a theme, the trumpet on long notes, and 
the sacks moving uh, more busily below. They join in unison on a more pressing line and then split into harmonies. It's a heavy and dense sound. Uh, Turek, the trumpet player, comes out of that with a solo. I like his tone. It's got a bit of edge uh, and the varied articulation with kind of snappy little rhythmic uh, things he does. Uh, they're just like ornaments, but they give it a little push. Uh, then uh, Pospischowski's turn joins in on sax too, and they both work into higher reaching lines. Uh, the sax sometimes shrieking uh, all over rolling and running piano from Duda. Uh, the horns join back in for a reworking of the theme together. It softens and leaves bass notes and trickling piano to finish it. Now another uh, kind of atmospheric one, track four, Slavic Spirits. Uh, this one has low, eerie, humming chants over distant percussion and a kind of woody flute whistle uh, with some bubbling ideas uh, to start it out. Uh, then we get real flute, uh, must be the sax player here, and trumpet that enter on a slow, folky minor melody over bass and piano chords. Mazlevsky has some tasty bass fills and textures. There's more distant kind of kalimba or other like uh, percussion pitched sound. Then Turuk plays some soft breathy trumpet lines that gradually become higher and clearer and then turn soft and fluffy again. The flute emerges next for a fluttering and flaring solo and Duda and Mazlevsky give it some rhythmic insistence on piano and bass, pushing it back to the trumpet and flute melody. The mysterious sounds from the opening return with the woody flute whistle and the humming comes back to end it off. Track five, Harmony. Uh, this one's a little more jazzy, uh, kind of a swinging feel to the tune. Uh, it feels like it's in a 12-8 kind of meter. Uh, it kicks off with a rim hit uh, into a unison flowing sax and trumpet line. Uh, there is a tricky meter change up along the way in the melody. Uh, tenor sax gets a solo first here, working high and then low with really fast lines. And Turek follows with a kind of contrasting trumpet solo of more lyrical notes. Uh, the horns return with the melody, and then Duda gets a piano solo with ringing notes, swelling lines as the horns stay on for backing and soft final notes. Track six, The Year of Magical Thinking. This is a, says it's a title borrowed from Joan Didion's book uh, about life's suffering and how to use it to our gain. Yeah, that book was about like her husband had died and she was spent the next year sort of... <laughs> Thinking about that, basically, yeah. it's really about that, yeah. So, uh, begins with cymbal rolls, uh, kind of percussive piano string tapping, I think, and trumpet breaths. It gives it a mysterious uh, mood at the beginning. Mazlevsky enters with a weighty bass line of rising repeated even notes. Uh, drums join in on toms, and it gets an eight-beat feel. There are more background sounds as the horns. With here, uh, I think... Pospischowski on bass clarinet, uh, which was a surprise. I said, I'm always a big it's fan not in of the hearing notes, that. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, the horns enter on this very soft and low melody line. Uh, Duda adds some chords and fills into a dark and low solo from Turek uh, with half valve effects and bending pitches. It's a really cool trumpet solo. It's got a real primeval kind of atmosphere to it. Uh, the bass clarinet joins in and also has some mysterious lines as well as the horns exchange improvised lines. And the trumpet works up into some louder and higher notes. 
And then uh, Duda comes out with an interesting two-handed moving piano line into a final run through the horn line. We're going to end with My Heart. Uh, this one has rhythmic percussion tones, uh, maybe kalimba again or something like mm -hmm. that to start it. I, I, I wrote kalimba. I'm not really yeah, sure. I'm not that. sure. Maslowski enters with a heavy bass pulse uh, synced with a bass clarinet kind of puff. Uh, this is this is the feature of this tune, uh, and it's kind of unique. Truk plays a fluffy melody theme delicately on trumpet over the top. It's an unusual pulse with the bass and the clarinet. Maybe you can feel it as like a slow 6-8 kind of uh, movement to it. Uh, Duda adds piano fills and chords as the trumpet continues with breathy and fuzzy phrases and the low pulses on the bass and bass clarinet go on a bit after the trumpet ends to the end creating a very warm and dreamy atmospheric tune and that's it it's a recording with a unique atmosphere uh, it does create a kind of spiritual ambiance um, because he mentioned that uh He's kind of uh, drawing inspiration from uh, Sun Ra's music and mm. also the art ensemble of Chicago. And it does kind of go back to that kind of uh, 60s kind of Pharaoh uh, Sanders uh, spiritual kind of jazz with uh, additional textured sounds, the one kind of humming, chanting Slavic spirits. And uh, there's a lot of ambience uh, created here. Uh, that said, too, there's a lot of space and freedom in the movements. I feel that the, you know, the solos aren't all planned out and there's some spontaneity, uh, trading of ideas, uh, filling in of, uh, you know, fills with the piano and reacting to other things. But despite the, that freedom, everything holds together well. And you can follow the structure of the songs, even uh, in the sort of more unusual spots. So it's another uh, interesting uh, listen and uh, kind of a modern recording that goes back and draws on maybe you know spiritual jazz from the 60s yeah spiritual jazz but when I, when you think of pharaoh sanders and sun ra they were they, there's a kind of like wildness to their music like a real power like they're just kind of storming the gates of heaven to try to get in you know that i'm not really getting here this is this much more very, subtle yeah yeah it's a very yeah. atmospheric album I, so that i don't know that i don't know that comparison was kind of interesting to me mm. um yeah i there are a lot of spiritual paths and uh this is a different one from them and i think it's a different one from the one i'm on too because <laughs> i just thought this was okay i mean i didn't take to it very much and that's not to say it's, it's 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 there's nothing wrong with the album it's just really a matter of taste here it was very atmospheric um relies on a lot of manipulation of tones and timbres in its compositions um, and it's very expressive in its approach. I kind of thought of, um, it's not as harsh sounding as the Weinberg uh, classical violin um, album that we heard earlier, but uh, I felt like it's got the same sort of expressive kind of approach to, you know, putting its ideas across. Mm -hmm. It's more in line with what I think of when I think of Poland, really, when I thought of like the Tomasz uh, Stanko uh, works. Mm -hmm. There's a classical feel to the music at times, particularly in the piano, and especially when he's completely solo. So yeah, it's it's fine. I think you should sample it. Um, but th this didn't really do much for me, though. I have to say, I'll confess. With my okay. apologies to the band, they're very good. But um, I like the tone colors. Um, 
Mm. I was especially happy to get the flute. And, maybe it was uh, the maybe I should listen to Gangs. Maybe it was like I was in a in a mood oh. when I was listening to it. I'll to see. I think I know what you because you yeah. listen to the jazz when you go to work and you want kind of bright bubbly. Swinging I, I jazz tend at to, that's true. Yeah, because yeah, I want it to lift me up. Yeah, at lunchtime or whatever yeah. when everything else yeah. is bringing me down. You know? mm. <laughs> this didn't bring me down though. I mean, it was it's fine, but yeah. um, I don't know. I'm always a little su suspect when I hear like spiritual jazz too i'm kind of eh, you know <laughs> you're a know. spiritual we, guy i mean if it's going to be like pharaoh sanders or sun ra they, i loved them they were but they were really like out there you know yeah sun ra's always been a bit too out there for me especially when i tried to play his big band charts with the blue and gold inserts <laughs> well i was lucky enough to hear them live in boston back in my college days mm -hmm. and it was really fun it was just this whole event sort of like the 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 orchestra, like they, they, you know, he had like a bus that he kind of thought of as a spaceship and it rolled up and you just kind yeah. of seemed to be part of this other world yeah. when he played. He was a, he was a really interesting act. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, here you go. First foray into uh, Polish jazz. Polish jazz. Mm. So I'm sure we'll get some more recordings. Uh, I don't know if we'll do an all Polish again, but I think we're going to do maybe like uh, it was a coincidence. More. Yeah. We've got some odd ones coming up too, kind of European some odd jazz, so. themes. But next week is uh, the promised. What do we had? Summer strumming. Summer so strumming. Had, yeah, we so had we more guitar, guitar to get to, so we're going to have some fall fretting or fret work. Fall or fretting. Yeah. yeah, except for me, I'm going to have more plucking because I can't. I can only get two guitar recordings. I'm my guitar. Mm load has been blown for the year after this one <laughs> so um, i'll have two guitars and a harpsichord next week so harpsichords are plucked you don't pluck it with your fingers but the yeah. plectrum that pops plectrum, out of yeah. the uh mechanism plucks the strings it doesn't hammer them so, so that that's as close as i could get there yeah not quite a guitar it just mm. so happens that i had a lot to choose from so us being mm. organ junkies we're gonna have two organ and guitar recordings uh mm. we're gonna have uh Another visit to some Greek. Yeah. Always have there. to go to, so Greek, to Greece. And uh, a bigger name as well. So next week will be uh, all strings. Yeah, you know, when you're ready too, to I have a to. Greek uh, classical piano album to do too. Only one, but if you want to do some Greek stuff and yeah, jazz. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple other ones too. In. So yeah, we'll get those in before the end of the year, maybe two. Then I think uh, we're going to do a... A vocal episode in a few weeks, probably. Yeah. And uh, we'll have a cello episode eventually by the end of November, probably. Still waiting for that new Stephen Asurlis uh, album to come out oh, on yeah. November 4th. That'll be on Hyperion's. Like, mm. gonna have to get a CD of it. <laughs> and I've got some uh, trumpet recordings I just have to absolutely get to soon. So that'll be after the guitar. Yeah. We also have an upcoming uh, cinema theme, too, because I have oh, yeah. two classical cinema albums and one. Uh, like a harp album that's like a, a storytelling theme. So I think I figured I could put all those three together and see what mm. happens. So it's going to be a, a really interesting end of the year, yeah. I'd say, here at the Adult Music Podcast. Yeah. Adult Music, and this has been episode 86, getting closer to 100. We'll break into yeah. that in the new year. Uh, in the new soon. year. So if you want to find those uh, guitar-centered recordings, be sure to check out the playlist, which will come out after this episode goes up tomorrow yeah before 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 we end and this is the end of the podcast so maybe a lot of people won't hear it but uh we got a message from a uh jazz um uh singer uh what was it eva schubert was that her name? eva yeah. yeah was that her name she sent us this um really nice note and she said that uh she's she's glad to hear that uh 
we think there's such a thing as adult music and yes we do so there you go and and i just want to just give her a shout out for that and encourage people you know give her album a sample eva schubert what's it called it's the the uh the feel of your love or something i can't remember the exact name yeah we'll just give her a little plug for sending that nice letter i think that'd be cool yeah the feel of your love that's it yeah the feel of your love by eva schubert yeah so we're gonna get up you can sample that and see what you think Anyway, thank you, Eva, for the letter. It was really appreciated. It, yeah. was, it was really thoughtful, thoughtfully worded. You can find uh, the recordings for next week uh, up on Deezer, all in one place. The playlist comes out, and there's also going to be a link to that on Facebook. So if mm-hmm. you want to find out what that is, come over to Facebook, and uh, you can get that after the podcast goes up. Uh, thanks again for our glowing logo to Fast Signs of Staten Island. And uh, once more... If you need some more jazz interviews, R&B, blues, uh, go check out Tom Gauker's podcast, Something Came From Baltimore. You can get uh, some fresh interviews uh, every week because he uh, puts up a new episode every week. Any final words, Mike? No, I think I'm all set. I'm all ready right. for uh, some gu- to go into the other room and start listening to some guitar, uh, all right. <laughs> some guitar music. The, the sun never sets on the adult music podcast no. <laughs> and the and the power never goes off on my stereo I mean. <laughs> yeah I bet we'll keep listening we'll see you again next week for episode 87 